You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 510. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 18th of February, 2022. Yeah, he's Two Ethiopian Airlines workers hide above a passenger cabin to seek asylum in the U.S. Pilots take to radio to help a student pilot land with a throttle stuck at full power. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 510 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast featuring and covering the latest in aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining us today from her lakeside studio in South Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Hey, everybody else. And we'll get to you guys in a second and introduce you, I'm sure. But it's so good to see you guys. I'm really happy to be here today. Um, looking forward to a great show. So, missed you. Missed you the last, I don't know when the last time I saw you was. It's been a while, but we're glad you are back and look forward to hearing. You're conferencing. That's right. Yeah, you're conferencing for sure. All right. Also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Good to be here on a snowy day here in Toronto. How many inches, Liz? And not, 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 not 16. <laughs> what? What is this music I hear from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia? Barbecue master, bourbon, scotch, vodka connoisseur, motorcycle riding yacht skipper, and pilot for a major U.S. legacy carrier is Captain Dana. Surprise! Glad to be here, guys. And you might have to add one more to the list. This purple gin. Oh, Purple Gin. Wow. Purple Gin. Your list is going to be almost as long as Steph's if we do that. (laughs) Hey, it's great to be back. Thank you for the invite. And I look forward to uh, helping you guys uh, catch up on me, see how things are going and see uh, how things are uh, progressing in the world of aviation. All right. We're going to get to that. But first, let's talk about aviation news. Stand by for news. Thank you, Paul Harvey. 
All right. The first item in our news notebook, Ethiopian Airlines employees hid in roof space of passenger plane and daring escaped to the United States. So let's uh, look at this. And we have this pretty picture of, uh, well, here, let me read this. Uh, Two Ethiopian Airlines maintenance technicians hid in a ceiling void above the passenger cabin of a commercial plane in order to flee Ethiopia and claim asylum in the United States. A spokesperson for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection has confirmed the two men claimed asylum on December 1st after clambering into the tiny void space in the ceiling of a Boeing 777 passenger jet. Not a Boeing 777. That's definitely not a Boeing 777. (laughs) It's not. And you know what's even more disappointing? The source, they are shirtless. Um, This is from an aviation blog, Mm -hmm. Paddle Your Own Canoe. And you'd think that this international flight attendant that is the blogger here would know the difference, but Mm. apparently not. Nope. This is a much prettier picture, apparently. Um, Well, the A350 is pretty too, but- It is a pretty jet. So is the 777. Yeah, I like the 777. Anyway, uh, let's see. So let me start this uh, sentence again. They, They were in that tiny void space in the ceiling of a Boeing 777, uh, after surviving a 36-hour journey from Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa? Addis Ababa? Addis Ababa. Addis Pretty yeah. good? Something All right, we're going to go along those lines. We're missing yeah. Nick on that one. He'd know how to say that one. Yeah, we'll just call Addis it double A. Addis Ababa. Okay. Is it? Okay. I the plane so. ended up in Washington, D.C., but went via Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria, and Dublin, Ireland, before eventually ending up in the United States. An airline source who spoke with CNN said um, an investigation concluded that the men had accessed the void space via a maintenance access panel within the flight attendant rest compartment, which is fitted to some 777 aircraft. On arrival in Washington, D.C., the men climbed out of the hiding space. wonder why they didn't clamber out. Hmm. Um, Climbed out of their hiding space and surrendered to CBP officers. A spokesman for CBP said the men possessed Ethiopian Airlines employee identification cards and that they stowed away with the intent of claiming asylum in the United States. The two Ethiopian males are presently housed at a federal detention facility pending a hearing before an immigration judge. Uh, CBP issued a civil penalty to Ethiopian Airlines for the security breach and were briefed on measures the airline is undertaking to enhance the airline's aircraft security plan. Um, so, and then it goes and talks about, this is not the first time, blah, 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 blah. But, uh, anyway, that's a kind of a long journey in uh, void space of a triple seven, but at least they didn't, uh, hole up in the, uh, in the landing gear. Yeah. Well. I feel like that's safer. Yeah. I'm wondering if you got a first class meal down there. I don't know. I and guess maybe, if, yeah, like a flight attendant maybe had, had a nice meal and then they, they left the, they kind of just like yeah. passed it through the. Pass event it to or something. Form. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Even worse is we had to go to the bathroom down there for that long yeah, journey. I'm wondering what they did about that. Ooh. Ooh. Oh boy. Ooh. That's not. Hold yeah. it. Yeah, I just got to hold it for 36 hours. <laughs> oh, man. Sure. Hey, mm. yeah. Desperate times call for desperate measures. That's right. All right. Well, welcome to the United States. Welcome That's to America. Yeah, welcome to America. All right. I don't know really what else. To say about that yeah i mean it's just one of those situations that you you know your hearts go out to the people who are seeking asylum but they're often in a very difficult predicament which is beyond the scope of our show but interesting when aircraft are involved trying to transport people from point, oh, a to point I, b 
kind of covertly. There was something that I should have added here. Um, the the two maintenance technicians were, and I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Tigrayan, Tigrayan heritage? Tigrayan? You're the, uh, in the Tigray, uh, Tigray region? Sure. I'm not sure. In northern Ethiopia. Uh, Tigray. Tigray. The Ethiopian... Tigers? Opian government has been involved in a fierce conflict with these Tigrayan separatists, and the national flag carrier has been accused of helping to transport military arms and personnel. Uh, Ethiopian Airlines strenuously deny uh, denies the allegations. Uh, they the airline has been accused of discriminating against employees with Tigray heritage, but Ethiopian says it strongly. Okay, so that's I guess the reason they were seeking the asylum. Right. Yeah, I mean, so people don't just get up and seek asylum for no good reason, usually. Um, and I'm not familiar enough with this particular conflict to know all the, the ins and outs of it. But yeah, like I said, it's it's if you it's something where I can't imagine myself being in that situation because that's not something that we experience here in the United States, fortunately. Yeah, but you but did live in Utah. I did, so. definitely a minority there. I don't know what, Speaking what of means. Utah, Utah's calling me right now, and I will be back in just a moment. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll let you go. They just wanted to become cowboys. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad because that's not just uh, you know a situation of you know of trying to escape something, but that's just desperate measures. I mean, to think of yeah. somebody crawling into an airplane and putting their life at risk—it's it's crazy. It is. It is. It makes you appreciate what you have and. You know, in our various worlds, um, yes, mostly developed countries. Lucky. Yeah, I've, I've often said your nation is the best nation on earth. Yes, and we were just talking about that uh, <laughs> earlier about how did they do that during those thirty-six I know, right? hours. I just yeah. had to, I had to throw that in. It was a little satire. Yeah. Depends. I love it. <laughs> Liz says depends. <laughs> 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 Depends on what. Oh, I get it. Okay. Uh, let's move on, shall we, before we get sure. into any more trouble. Having uh, a movement? Okay. We're this is, uh, speaking of movements, uh, Liz says, let's move to uh, number two. <laughs> I didn't even try to do that. Uh, let's see. Report. West Atlantic uh, AT72 uh, at Guernsey and, and Jersey. On April 16th, 2021, a cargo shift in flight, a West Atlantic ATR 72-200 freighter registration Golf Charlie Lima November Kilo performing flight 904 from Guernsey to Jersey. Um, and is this the CI? Is that Canary Islands, I think? No, Channel Islands. Uh, Channel yes. Islands. Channel, Channel Islands. Islands, okay. Okay. Yeah, With two crew. Was to, oh, in the English Channel. Okay. Was taking off from Guernsey when the crew heard a thud sound, which they attributed to water bottles moving in the cabin. Without feeling an anomaly in the flight controls, the aircraft continued to Jersey for a safe landing about 15 minutes after departure. During the landing roll, they heard a sliding sound, closely followed by another loud thud. The aircraft vacated the runway and taxied to the stand. The Air Accidents Investigation Branch released their bulletin reporting a unit load device, a ULD, or a UDL is what I'd like to call it, uh, which had been loaded on pallet position C3, the middle, had moved rearwards into position C4 and was stopped by the ULD and C5 during takeoff. Then as soon as the brakes were applied for slowing the aircraft during landing, um, oh, for slowing the aircraft during landing, 
the ULD moved forward, broke through the forward locks, and was stopped by the ULD in position seat one. The AAIB reported the ground handling organization performed an investigation and reported that um, the loader may have been distracted during the loading. Moreover, there was no requirement for an independent check of the locks to be carried out as the ULD were loaded. Uh, the organization introduced safety, safety actions revising their loading procedure to provide for an independent verification that all locks are in the correct position when the aircraft's loaded. Um, we, uh, go to that first picture, uh, Liz, if you don't mind. But, yeah, um, Looks like uh, the one on the right is the what these rails and locks should look like when the ULDs or pallets are in position. Uh, the first uh, picture on the left there uh, is the condition of the the uh, tracks um, in this particular incident and they're all broken yeah. up that's that's at, i mean i'm looking at this jeff and you know being that i used to work on the ramp and used to deal with these types of uh, containers and loading systems uh, the one on the right is the way it should look absolutely in the left i'm not sure that i mean <clears throat> obviously if they did the investigation and discovered that the uh, locks weren't in proper position, but I'm almost not sure that the, the tracks didn't come off because of maybe the shift of the load. I mean, it, it may be the tracks were defective because I've never seen, I mean, that would, you got to realize that those, those tracks are actually rollers. So uh, for something to dislodge like that, uh, that's a rolling device, uh, you know, ULDs are flat on the bottom. I don't know how it would have grabbed and pulled the tracks out of the uh, system. Yeah, honest. I don't either. That doesn't look just like a standard locks weren't in place and they just slid on the on the tracks. Yeah. It looks different. It looks it looks it looks like it. It almost looks like there's some maybe metal fatigue and, and they gave way. It's is my just based on this photo. I, you know, obviously don't know all the facts here. Yeah. Well. I don't know what else to say about that. I don't have much experience with the, although we did have these kind of systems in the C-141, but that was like a long time ago. So yeah, I don't in, remember much about in, that. Any, any wide body uh, in the world uh, that is flying nowadays in the, in the baggage compartment has this type of system in it. And, uh, and also as well as cargo carriers that have converted the main cabin floors into um, cargo as well as so like FedEx, UPS, those guys all have that type of same system. And it's very effective. And generally speaking, uh, they tend not to leave um, open spaces so that they can't shift that much either. So that's what the, you know, they'll, they'll actually fly. Well, I remember uh, when we used to load them, we would make sure every, every uh, loading position was, was full, of, even if it was an empty container. Mm -hmm. And you make sure that the locks were in the... Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Load shift. Yes, uh, Liz is making a good point. This could have ended up badly with the load shift, and yes, that's what why this is so critical because yes, uh, you have to. Luckily, they said that the shifting of that ULD that was not locked, uh, everything stayed within the envelope of a safe center of gravity. Um, you know, the, the center of gravity envelope of the uh, airplane, so they were never outside of that. But that could have easily not have been the case if it, uh, the ULD had been heavier or maybe one of the other ULDs moved out of position and put it outside that safe range. Could have been a bad thing. Absolutely. Just like that. I know it didn't involve ULDs at 747. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think there were um, 
heavy equipment, um, like armor personnel carriers, or I don't think they were tanks, but they were very large, uh, heavy vehicles that shifted during the takeoff roll. And of course that put it outside of the safe envelope and there was nothing that crew could do. I remember watching that video here on, on the show. It was, mm-mm. yeah, that was hard to watch. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah, very hard. By the way, um, John Jester, uh, was the featured guest on last week's plane talking UK podcast. And he talked, uh, touched on that a little bit, uh, cause he flies the 747 for, um, Acme giant. And, uh, you said that he saw that video once and that was all he could, he couldn't watch it again. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Struck too yeah. close to home. It's... Yep. Too close to home for sure. Okay. Now it's going to take me a moment to load up a video. And, uh, this was, uh, this is aviation. A... We love them. Yep. We do love Vaz aviation. And I was hoping that Steph would be here for us to talk about this, but uh, we'll just have to move on without her, I guess. I guess so. Has anybody ever told you, Jeff, you're a handsome man? No. <laughs> but thank you. No, no one ever has. <laughs> and then, no. and then, then you should add, Dana, well, there's a reason for that. Yes, there is. <laughs> okay. Because you're the airline pilot guy. Yeah. No, there's a reason that nobody has told me that I'm a handsome man. <laughs> oh. Uh, I guess you. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, student no. pilot. Here we go. Um, but thank you very much. I do appreciate that. I, I appreciate it when people suck up to me like that. I'm not sucking up. <laughs> don't get don't get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me let me check something here in the on the uh, Evernote news. See if there's something that we could cover. Um. Yeah, let's. I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull an audible. I think that Liz just um, left her uh, directing position, so now I can take advantage of that and uh, change it up a little bit. So instead of doing numbers or one C, Dana, let's uh, move to the next one here, one D. I can see that though. What's that? One C and one D. Oh shoot! You can't. Never mind. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, I'm going to skip to the uh, next news item and we'll, we'll loop good. back to the uh, one that I was going to cover. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> Steph will be with us anyway. Uh, so here, this item is uh, virgin pilot fired over claims. He took 40 winks during flight. He wins a 90,000 pound payout. And this is from the mirror online. Captain Mike Lawson was accused of reckless behavior and later fired in May, 2017 with Virgin citing his failure to pass two flight simulator tests in 2016 as the reason. Um, And I'm going to show a picture of Mr. Lawrence. I mean, excuse me, Mike Lawson. And let me just get to that here. Um, Liz, uh, we went ahead. I made a command decision and skipped to the next one. Um, okay, going to wait for Yeah, good, good. Yeah, and uh, so we're talking about Captain yep. Mike Thanks. Lawson. And Thanks. let's see. Let me get back to this. Okay. A Virgin Atlantic pilot who was sacked over unfounded rumors he took 40 winks during a long-haul flight when his co-pilots were sick has won 90,000 pounds in compensation. Captain Mike Lawson said the rumor circulated and saw the company turn against him, and he was unfairly dismissed. The 50-year-old 
had claimed 1.7 million pounds in compensation from the airline, which he claimed took action against him following a flight from London to Hong Kong in 2015. An employment tribunal in Crowden heard Captain Lawson started his long-haul career on its Airbus 340 fleet, having joined Virgin Atlantic in 1998. The tribunal panel heard that Captain Lawson was accused of reckless behavior, but he denied this and said that that happened, he would have faced disciplinary action. The tribunal judge, Brian Doyle, said these alleged events were never mentioned to him. They are undocumented and unrecorded. The tribunal agrees with the claimant that it's hard to believe that a high-profile profile airline would allow a pilot to be reckless to fly its customers and airplanes for 17 years, let alone as a captain. He said the airline took events of the early... He said that the airline took events of the early 2000s into account in some way in its decision-making to dismiss him in 2017 without giving him the chance to respond to those historic allegations. The tribunal heard that during 17 years, Captain Lawson passed every one of more than 50 simulator and line-flying tests. The panel said that the heart of his claim was the so-called Hong Kong incident in September 2015 when two co-pilots had upset, upset stomachs after recent tri- trips to Delhi, but were fit to operate. Captain Lawson had flown the 11-hour route many times, at least once a month, and was very familiar with it. On long-haul flights like this, the three pilots take turns to have periods of rest away from the flight deck, with two pilots usually remaining on the deck. Three hours into the flight, one co-pilot with Delhi belly went to the toilet and briefly fainted while returning to the flight deck, and he asked to take a rest. After four and a half hours into the flight, the other co-pilot needed the toilet, but did not quite make it in time. <laughs> it doesn't really go into much more detail than that. Ugh. And uh, crew found him in a seat next to the toilet so he could manage his symptoms. I guess, I'm not sure what symptoms uh, he was managing. I think if they're the kind of symptoms that I'm thinking of, sitting on the toilet oh, would probably have managed be the best it choice, better. Yeah. Exactly. Much, so, much better choice. I'm with this guy. I'm thinking that I'm, maybe he is felt faint or something. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, if you're gonna pass out, better pass out in the toilet with those symptoms. Yeah. True. Oh, and you know, it probably better be in the toilet, passing out there, and not passing gas in the cabin. Mm, yes, or, especially with the, the uh, deli belly. Yeah, um, deli belly. Possible show title. I don't know. Um, the plane was over central Russia, and Captain Lawson said to land at a remote Russian airfield would only be attempted in an absolute emergency, and he decided the safe, safest course would be for him to continue in charge alone to Hong Kong, where they had an uneventful landing. The tribunal heard that negative r- rumors about the flight began, saying the flight was one big F-up and that Captain Lawson will probably get the sack. Captain Lawson said the airline's failure to publish a report into the incident meant he could not defend himself against the rumors. He was sacked in uh, May of 2017 with Virgin citing his failure to pass two flight simulator tests in 2016 as the reason. Um, such rumors were untrue, but nevertheless, his colleagues were reluctant to work with him. Uh, so again, he uh, claimed unfair dismissal and the rule, uh, the tribunal ruled in his favor and awarded him a total of 89,000. Oh wait, I thought they were saying 90,000 before. Maybe. Adjusted for inflation. I don't know. Um, wow. But the panel said that he couldn't uh, be restate, reinstated. So he got a little bit of money out of it. Probably not as much as he should have, if what he's claiming is true. Now, I'm 
kind of, I, I wish that uh, Captain Nick were with us today because we did, uh, Liz, you asked uh, Captain Nick if he knew this pilot and he said he did. He had flown with him um, as Nick's first officer early on. And uh, what what was the exact uh, way he put this, Liz, about? Um, he said he was... Okay, we will not say so what he, he said because no. Nick's not here. He may not want us to say what he thought, but he said it was a good. He was a good colleague, and uh, and I guess um, a, a good good pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Or did he? Yeah, well, say if, he pass all, if he passed all his yeah. check rides, and certainly, I mean, yeah, you, don't, you just don't. Skills. It's not handed to you on this little platter. You have to earn each right. check ride every, every time you go to the simulator. You have to earn it. So, mm-hmm. and if in, in fact he passed every check ride, then, um. Yeah, you know, he's not a bad pilot. Yeah, and I must say that this situation that they're talking about, this this Hong Kong incident, if that's what they really were firing him for, uh, although they're they're not claiming that, uh, but uh, it was an unusual incident for sure. But I'm not sure how how else you would handle it if your two first officers were sick and couldn't remain at their control positions and. I think his reasoning, at least uh, the way I understand it, was not flawed and not, you know, landing at a remote Russian yeah, airfield. The, the yeah, I mean, that's a, a sound answer. decision, if you ask me. I mean, yeah. and now you sat in a major international incident over two sick FOs that, you know, how sick are they? We we don't know. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. part of this scenario we don't have. So, right. um, and it says 40 winks. So when I see that, does that mean he took a nap? So that's the thing I was going to say about the writing of this article. To me, when you say I'm going to take 40 weeks, that means I'm going to take a nap, right? Yeah, 40 weeks, yeah. But it wasn't wasn't the captain that was was accused of taking a nap. Um, It was the first officers leaving the flight deck because of their deli belly. Um, I don't know. I don't understand the whole term uh, 40 winks in the context of this article. Honestly, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just rejoining kind of um, mid oh, story here, but I it hear, wasn't, I'm hearing a voice. I know. Oh, sorry, it's, it's Steph. Hey, Steph. Um, hi. It wasn't the the captain. No, that was wait. Was the captain me. stayed on the flight deck. And, yeah, he stayed uh, on the flight two, deck, but he's the one who took forty winks. Well, it doesn't That's say that very, anywhere. That was a Virgin pilot who sacked over unfounded rumors. He took forty winks during a long haul flight when his co pilots were sick. Has one ninety. Oh, okay, so they they're saying that he was on the flight deck by himself and then sleeping also on the flight. That's deck? the implication. It doesn't yeah. explicitly okay. say that, but that is the implication. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if that's the case, compensation. That that is, I guess you could say that the what. It, because normally on this kind of a flight, you're probably going to have a rest period, right? And sure. Well, but that's where that's where us not having Captain Nick is is key because yeah. they're different than American Airlines in that they don't have a rest facility on their airplanes, if I remember correctly. He said they would always have the two pilots and then one sitting in the jump seat. I think that some of them, no, I think he said some of them do have, I think the A340 some? does. Uh, the three thirty. Yeah. I don't. I don't think all of them do have rest facilities, and then would occupy a like a business class seat or something like. That. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're right, Dana. <laughs> Wish Captain Nick help us hey, out where here. Where are you? Yeah, he's he's in a wind tunnel apparently. Windstorm. We can yeah. hold it over for the next. Yeah, you know what, Liz? Let's do that. Let's let's hold that over and and address this again on uh, the next episode and see uh, if we're just not understanding this 
quite properly. And now we can loop back to 1C. Yes. Steph, Steph are you going to stay here for a few minutes? Um, I hope so. And my apologies. There's things going on that are a bit out of my uh, control at right. the moment. Oh, yeah. We, we completely to, understand. Uh, yeah. No problem. Sorry if you for need the, to go the again, listeners and the, the people watching live. If I, yeah, there's some phone calls I may have to, to take gotcha. today. So, well, we'll try to sneak um, this in. As far as I know, I'll, I'll be here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I'd say, I say quickly, but I'm still trying to. So tell her what we're doing, Jeff. She didn't know what we're doing. Oh, we're, we're going to go to 1C. And uh, we're going to play a little video. Let me see. Let me remove this and then hit add to stream. And our friends at Bass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications, here we go. Watch the traffic, number 49931, still about four miles out of the runway at 2-0. Uh, I think I'll have to cut the engine when I'm going into landing because right now I have no throttle control, cannot land with 100% power. Stay up at the air a little bit to figure things out, and then we'll advise them to be coming in. Thank you so much, Watsonville. Hey, uh, I heard you on the 121.5 on the CFI. So you having a full problem uh, with your throttle? It's full open? Right now, my throttle is a little bit towards uh, in the middle, but I'm, I'm getting 100% power. Okay, if you can, just uh, try to keep it. Aim for Give yourself a long final. Give yourself about a 5, 6, 7, 8-mile final if you can. Aim for the runway, come in, don't try to change the speed too much, stay a little bit low because you'll be fast. Once that happens, start pulling that mixture once you know you have the runway made. Climb up just a little bit so you can reduce your speed. You're going to gain altitude, that's why you stay low, and then try to make the runway. It could uh, work out that way. Roger that. So right when I'm coming in for the runway, I should pull out the mixture, and do I cut the magnetos or do I keep them on? Uh, you you got to cut that engine if it's not responding to your uh, engine throttle inputs. So do whatever you got to do. Pull that mixture, turn the mags off, and uh, try to get that engine cut. You have a, do you have a fuel cutoff switch or valve? Uh, yes, I do have one. Uh, I would pull that after you pull the mixture, definitely. Try to get that engine to cut. Roger that. I'll do that. I'll still take a couple of minutes in the air to gather myself, and uh, then I'll be coming into the final. Sounds good. Uh, keep us advised, and we'll help you out if you need it. Roger that. Thank you so much. I don't know if it's the right time to put down the flaps because the arc uh, is at 85. You uh, 172? Uh, no, this is uh, 152. 499031. What type of aircraft are you? This is 152. 152, okay. Um, let me think here for a minute. The aircraft is having problems. He's uh, outbound, inbound? I think he's going to stay up there for a second to figure some things out. Okay, sir, thanks for your help. Do you know anything about him? Is Does he have a flight instructor here on the field? Uh, I'm a student solo on number 49931. Okay, 49931. Are you soloing out of Watsonville? Uh, yes, soloing out of Watsonville. Who's your flight instructor out of Watsonville? Uh, yes, my flight instructor is from United Flight Services. Okay, we're going to try to find someone from United to get, to get with you. Love that. Thank you so much. And which ground vehicle will stay put here for the aircraft? Watsonville. Uh, student, student over, uh, student from United Flight, are you over the uh, field? Uh, no, right now I'm about three miles uh, out from runway 20. Uh, I'm trying to get set up for a final. Okay, keep us posted. We're looking for you. Roger that. Thank you so much. Okay, student pilot, we're headed over to uh, United Flight to find your flight instructor. Uh, thank you so much. If you can, keep headed toward the field because if that engine quits, you want to be as close as you can. 
Right, got it. Right now I'm at 4,000 feet, so about I can make the feel of the engine clicks right now. But if I start coming in towards uh, the airport, I'm just going to have too much power and speed. No, we want you to head toward the airport and circle the airport high. You can be above the airport. Roger that. I'll do that. Thank you. And to the student pilot who's having the emergency, uh, how familiar are you with engine out uh, emergency procedures? I'm pretty familiar with them. I've uh, practiced them quite a few times uh, with my instructor. Another option that I can give you is if you want to circle the field and you still cannot make any power adjustments at 4,000 feet, you can try putting that mixture to idle and glide it all the way down, circling for the runway. But it's your decision. Right. I'll think about it. Because uh, if, I, if I cut out the mixture, then I have to get the fuel valve off and the uh, meter stuff, correct? I just cut off the whole engine. At this point, you're just an emergency aircraft, so you don't if you can get the engine to stop with the mixture cut, uh, that'll be good enough. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'll just go through my checklist again. Yep, go for it. Just uh, another option for you if you want to make that work. And student pilot, we're still looking for your flight instructor, so he should be on the horn pretty shortly. Can you hear 931 at all? That's NorCal approach. Uh, yeah, I can use the guy, the guy with the emergency at uh, Watsonville seat to see if I see too. Number five, is he okay? Like, were you monitoring that frequency? Is that why? I was trying to get a hold of you, but I couldn't hear you, but is he okay right now? What's the status? Uh, I think the guy has full throttle. He cannot turn. Uh, he cannot pull power. So uh, he's talking to somebody. I think uh, Watsonville ground is on that frequency as well, and they're, they're trying to help him right now to see if I see too. Okay, so somebody is actively talking to 931 and trying to help him out? Yes, uh, Watsonville ground is uh, on that frequency to see if I see too. Okay, thanks. Number 502, can you do me a favor? Can you go to the CTAF real quick and ask him if he needs emergency equipment? Also, can you have him give you an estimate of uh, fuel remaining and how many people are on board? All right, we'll, we'll ask for fuel remaining people and if he needs equipment to see if I see too. Give me one second. Number 502, thanks a lot. We got, the, the, here's the situation. There's a Skyhawk, we believe it's a Skyhawk, directly over Watsonville. He's got a stuck full throttle. It's basically an emergency situation right now. Uh, he's on the CTAF. Um, if you, you know, I know you've, you've done so much flying over the, the jump zone and stuff, and uh, maybe if you guys could see if you have the time to maybe help him out, but we believe he's on the CTAF, and he's got a stuck full throttle. And, uh, 328 Victor Romeo, we're going to go off frequency, and we'll be back with you shortly. Number eight, Victor Romeo, I appreciate that, and uh, thanks a lot, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. Number 502, go ahead. All right, so it's a student, so it's just one person on board, and they have, he has about 13 gallons of fuel. Uh, I'm so, so one student, and you said how many hours of fuel? It would be 13 gallons of fuel. Let me ask him how much is there going to be. Oh, that, that's fine. Uh, we don't want to stress them out. You, so 13 gallons of fuel left remaining. Uh, how do you sound? The guy sounds confident right now. Uh, he's just overflying. Uh, he just doesn't want to kill the mixture or the, or the engine. So he's overflying the air. 20502. 502, thanks a lot. So, Number 502, yeah. Tell him it's not an issue if he needs equipment. It's better to be safe than sorry. So if he feels he needs equipment, please tell him it is not an issue with regards to that aspect. Okay, and this is your solo? Yes, I'm soloing right now. Okay, you're, so you're above the field. And you're talk have you talked to ATC? 
I uh, reported my problem to 121.5 right now. There's just a couple of other airplanes on there. Mechanic at United Flight, you said that you don't have any throttle authority, correct? I do not. If I pull the throttle back, right when it, even when it's idle, it starts going up really high. Number 502, contact approach 120.1. Thank you for the help. I contact 120.1, and uh, we have an update on the emergency to see 502. 502, go ahead. The emergency, he's talking to a mechanic right now, and he says he doesn't have any control of the uh, throttle to see 502. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, uh, student pilot, Unicom here. How do you read? Loud and clear, 499931. Okay, we found a United Flight uh, flight instructor. So you, your plane is with United Flight. The flight instructor is with United Flight. He's, I'm going to turn it over to him. We got you over the field, and uh, he's going to help you out. Perfect, thank you so much. Hey, what altitude are you at right now? I'm at about 6,700. Okay, um, you done engine out landings, and if you, who, who's your instructor, Harry? Uh, Harry, yes. Okay, so you're going to control this basically with the mixture. Got it. Start pulling the mixture back, and you can go idle cut off. Why don't you go idle cut off, and, and it'll kind of shut itself off. You can start a descent at about 70 knots or so, and then come back in slowly, and you'll see the engine should restart. So do that a few times just to get used to it. Perfect. Got it. So what I do is uh, I go mixture idle, and then it kind of cuts off, and then when I start going in and I put in the mixture back, I'll get it back again, correct? So go ahead and pull the mixture all the way back and start descend maybe 500 or 1,000 feet and try that out, and then slowly put it back in. So you want to do that? You want to get down to about I don't know two or three thousand, about two thousand feet, and you're gonna set yourself up, you know, on a long final for two zero, okay? And then you're gonna come in at about two thousand, start descending, and then you'll slowly pull her. Once you you kind of be a little bit high for the for the field, you'll pull the mixture back and start slowing the plane down, and you'll start putting the flaps in and land. If it doesn't work out, you, you put the put the mixture back in, put the flaps back up, and try it again, okay? Roger that, I'll cut it again, and then I'll start descending right now. Number 75 Zulu, for, uh, for an emergency aircraft over Watsonville, I want you to remain at least four miles away from the Watsonville Airport. Four miles away from Watsonville, would you uh, prefer I go uh, to, towards, to the left or to the right? Going to the east of Watsonville would, uh, would be fine, but uh, the issue is that we have a plane, he's got a stuck throttle over Watsonville, so his altitude... Uh, can change very rapidly at times, and he's staying within a couple miles of the airport. But, yeah, just remain four miles outside of the Watsonville Airport. Four miles outside Watsonville, send by Zulu. And NorCal Ranger 328 Victor Romeo has update for Watsonville. Are you Victor Romeo? Go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, the uh, uh, aircraft uh, pilot uh, sounds very confident. He is in contact with... Uh, uh, operators of the aircraft on the ground, and uh, he is currently uh, on final for runway 20 at Watsonville, and it appears that no equipment will be required. Maria Victoromi, can you do me a favor? Can you monitor that frequency and the mechanic and just advise us when he is safely off the runway, please? And we will continue to monitor, and we'll uh, continue to pass on the update. 328 Victoromi. Um, they're just relaying to me now. I guess everything did go fine. Uh, once again, uh, thanks for all your help in the relay and stuff. Really appreciate that. Oh, our pleasure. Anytime. 328 Victor Romeo. 
Number uh, 205, and, uh, and Watsonville's good to go for you. Uh, I think those guys on the ground at Watsonville did an awesome job. Is Roma 2 0 open? Yes, sir. Uh, the emergency aircraft just uh, carry out runway 2 0. Is that 4 7? So will be taxiing on 2 7 to hold short runway 2 0, Watsonville. And Watsonville traffic, airport ground vehicle and emergency aircraft will be traveling north on taxiway Alpha, Watsonville. Okay. Uh, and then we have a little bit more narrative uh, from the student pilot. I used the mixture to kill the engine and circled down to the runway. Before killing it, I tried reducing it just so I could still have some power on vinyl. But before the speed, my RPM dropped and the prop stopped. So at the end, uh, it was an engine out landing midfield. Did S-turns while in a slip because I was too high. Uh, I also tried restarting to make sure if I had an option for a go-around. But it didn't start, so I had to put it down no matter what. And I think, and we, we've been watching the um, the uh, comments from our live audience, and everybody is saying, and that my initial impression when I heard this was, wow, you could not tell that this was a student pilot at all. Very, very confident, confident-sounding voice on the radio. Uh, he was, in, it seemed like he was in, in control the uh, the entire time. Yeah, it sounds like he had, uh, you know, he he was doing everything they'd been taught up to that point. So I don't know how many hours he actually had flying, but certainly his instructor had covered um, at least the basics of an emergency situation like this. Usually you're covering engine out, not engine uh, <laughs> earth throttle stuck full open. So that's that'll throw you for a loop a little bit if you haven't considered that scenario. Um, but he was, he was doing exactly what he was taught to do. You know, he reported the emergency, um, the nature of it, got to talk to other people who could help him out. Um, he was going through his checklist. He was, you know, making smart, um, good aeronautical decisions and this worked out really well. He's also the most polite, uh, pilot I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I did with, thank you so much. <laughs> he was, he was very nice. Yes. And Dana. You're a CFI. Um, how did how did the CFIs here do? Well, you want to know what? I'm really impressed with everybody involved here. The uh, level of um, calmness that was portrayed by everybody uh, was absolutely astounding. The information that and that, that when I first saw uh, what happened, my first inkling was, okay, we've got mixture. I was thinking as a CFI, what what can we use to help this this guy out now? One thing I disagree with, I don't know that I would have brought the mixture all the way back and then bring, start bringing it forward. I would probably brought it back to get the engine running a little rough, and which, of course, would decrease its efficiency mm-hmm. and certainly reduce its power. And that would have helped him to descend and keep the engine running, uh, even if it was very rough, uh, down a little, until lower. Uh, as he said at the end, he didn't have an engine to go back to because, well, let's face it, the airspeed, uh, at that point, when he's down that close to the ground, he didn't have not going to be enough to restart it. Yeah, yeah it's not going to be enough to restart. It. So that would be my one comment on uh, what happened there. But I mean, my hats off, quite literally, to that young man, uh, or I don't know if he's a young man, but whoever uh, that pilot was was absolutely spectacular and handled that that situation uh, as well as a, uh, a well-grounded professional airline pilot like you and I, Jeff, have been you know have has been flying forever. Uh, and hats off to that instructor who t- took the time to train this kid really well. And I think really this is, you know, um, what the student pilot did very well was 
it's it's easy to start to let your your mind think too quickly you know and he was really good at slowing things down recognizing hey i've actually <laughs> the problem i have is one that's going to keep me in the air i've got plenty of fuel you know there's not uh, it, and and i'm glad that um when he finally did start talking to the, um, I think it was Unicom that they wanted him to come back towards the airport because I was thinking that at first. I was like, well, you can stay high, but I'd rather be real close to a someplace to put it down if, if you know, the engine does decide to, to quit. His composure, um, his, his composure, his composure was amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. And, you know, in, in the chat room was, you know, a little bit about the uh, NorCal, NorCal approach and, and, and that they're trying to be a little too pushy there, trying to get how many people on board and, and how much fuel. You know, that's really what their job is to do is that it's trying to ascertain what the threat level is and, and, and what the potential um, loss of life can be and, and how long this person can stay in the air. So they're, they're just doing their job. Um, so. But, I, I think everybody in this case did did exactly. Yeah, this. and Hillel makes a good point. Uh, he said, you know, good on NorCal for not pushing for the fuel in time. Yes. Yeah, um, they can figure. I mean, they can yeah. they can do the math there pretty quick. A one fifty two with thirteen gallons of fuel. He's got plenty of fuel to figure out this problem, especially if he's at the airport. Yeah. You know, he's not like in the middle of some long cross country and things know, burn. Two hours thing, to go still. Thing burns what five six gallons per hour yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah. full power, exactly. maybe. Maybe. And, yeah. and that and that and that's another thing is that that was excellent advice. Um, I forget who said it, but come over the airport and circle over the airport because if you're too far away from the airport, even though he he already thought that out, he's like four thousand feet. I'm three miles away from the airport. I can make it. And yes, a one a one fifty two has an excellent glide, glide ratio. So yes, his answer was correct. But there's no better place to be than right over the top of the airport. Yeah, and you know that's actually I was thinking back to to just private pilot train, but then also commercial train. That's something that's emphasized much more um, when you're working on your commercial, certainly, you know, emergency descents, power off 180s, that type of thing. Um, it's less emphasized, um, I think, at the private pilot level, at least when I did my training. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but. I think the 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 most problematic thing that I heard in this whole incident was NorCal asking for some jumper dumpers to give advice on what this guy should do. Yeah, don't trust those guys. They don't know, I know. what they're doing. As a former jump pilot, when I heard that when they asked that question, yes, I would agree with that. That's, those are the wrong guys to ask. You know what? We know, a thing or two, we know a thing or two about circling an airport to land, though. Well, that's true. So, that's, 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 that's half of our day. <laughs> Directly overhead, and all we want to do is go down and get on the runway as efficiently as possible without touching the power. Tell all the jumpers to leave the air. Oh, wait a minute. No, there's no there are no jumpers. Okay, we don't know what to do then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I anyway. Mean, yeah. He Love, could have it, been like that guy that ditched his airport, this plane, you know, the guy in the mountains. That oh, his, uh, yeah. Good point, Liz. Although I'm not sure that Liz is saying that he could have been like that guy that ditched his airplane over uh, the mountains in California, except that I don't think he was wearing a parachute. No, <laughs> yeah, no. No. He wasn't participating in the school of solo skydiving. Um, no. Exactly. All right. Well, anyway, I thought that was a great. Uh, no, this is this is fantastic, and I think it's it's very instructive, especially for anyone who's listening who is a student pilot now. How to maintain your composure? You know, slow is fast in these situations. Slow down everything. Don't let your mind run away from you. Um, even if you know you're you have no idea what the situation is at first. If the airplane's still flying, you've got power. You've got time. You know, um, trust your training. Follow your checklists and. It'll be a good outcome. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Seth. That that is very good advice. Uh, you know, on, on the on the professional side of things, we always are taught to, you know, we've we've got the no uh, a no time box, then we have a time box. The mm-hmm. no time box is okay. You're on fire. Mm-hmm. Your engines have quit, and or parts of the airplane have fallen off, and right. who knows what else? You know, you need to get the airplane back on the ground. Um, this is a perfect example of sit on your hands, wind your clock. Well, of course, most people don't wear. Everybody wears digital now. But, you know, wind your, 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 your watch and think things through and relax. And that is, and as you that's said, the vast perfect. majority of emergencies, that's right? Some, like yep, there yep. are some that are time critical, but the vast majority are take that deep breath, survey the situation. Yep. Yeah, and the ones that usually don't uh, end up very well are the ones that are that it was a time time critical kind or yeah. no, it was not a time critical oh, thing, not, and they made it into they one. made it time critical right. exactly, and they, and they exactly. rushed it, and forced it, yep. yeah, yep. without thinking about everything. Yeah, so uh, great, uh, great experience, good uh, story, and a lot to learn from that. And job well done. Okay, uh, let's continue with one uh, e stuff. Um, I got it. Here. I'm, I'm, here I'm, I'm is another one because we skipped uh, D. Okay. Well, great. Liz has already moved removed D from the. Uh, oh, she's efficient. I moved it over to staging, but I can move it back. Oh, I still have. I still see it. But um, okay, good. Um, I guess my my Evernote has not refreshed, and uh, let's. Uh, oh, I have something that I have to set up here. Uh, a. But in the meantime, I'll show a picture. Okay. In the meantime, Liz will throw up that uh that still um although why don't you do the next one liz uh it's a still from the video and uh that shows a 737-200 very low <laughs> i'm wow. gonna read a, a little bit of this uh is, is, is dana flying narrative. that 737 yeah i think dana is flying that 737 liz what are yep, you what were you one. thinking you guys got 200s <laughs> yeah yes we still do acme airlines still flying 200 around <laughs> um I don't think so. Anyway, an arrow, an arrow sucker, Boeing seven thirty seven two hundred. Arrow sucre. Oh, I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. <laughs> arrow sucre, Boeing seven thirty seven two hundred registration hotel kilo five one nine two performing a flight from Puerto Carreno to Bogota, Colombia. Departed Puerto Carreno's runway zero seven uh, when one of the engines showed an overheat indication and lost thrust. The crew continued takeoff, managed to climb just above treetops, electrical power lines, and houses past the end of the runway outside the aerodrome, and returned to Puerto Correno for a safe landing a couple of minutes later. A video that became viral shows the aircraft at a low height, crossing just above the wires, treetops, and roofs of houses about 250 meters or 800 feet past the runway end. The trees immediately reacted to the aircraft's wake turbulence. However, no actual contact between aircraft and trees is visible, leading to claims that the aircraft had hit the treetops, which dropped leaves as a result. But I think that if you watch the video here, I think it's obvious that it's just the probably the wake of the airplane flying low overhead uh, ended up uh, kind of disturbed the the leaves from the trees. And, and But we're going to watch the video right now as soon as I get that ready to play. So just bear with me for a second. Okay, here we go. Here's the security video camera. Look in the upper right-hand corner, and there it is. Going by, barely. Now you'll watch the trees in the background kind of swaying and reacting to the, uh, and then you can see some leaves and debris flying around. 
You can actually even hear it in this video. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was low. That was low. Play it again, Sam. Okay, I'm gonna play it again. Here we go. And there it is. Wow. What's the new definition of trimming the treetops? Need some tree pruning? Yep. Okay. We'll just use the 73200. It's fine. So, something I didn't notice when I first saw this video was this uh, slide right here, where, and you see the yellow circle there, and you can see the number one engine, and looks like some flame coming out of it, I guess, or something. It's not normal. Um, and that's the engine. The afterburner's on. Good point, Link, uh, Liz. <laughs> I didn't uh, think about that. So they should have had Reheat. plenty of power. <laughs> Reheat, yeah. Um, okay, so let me get back to Evernote and read a little bit more. Um, company pilots reported later that one of the engines had overheated and power was lost from the engine, which climbed out at only 50% thrust available. The aircraft returned to Puerto Correno for an emergency landing a few minutes later. And then uh, they made it safely, and then we saw the picture already of the emergency vehicle in front of the uh, 737-200 on the ground. And uh, let's see, anything else here? Um, yeah, the cargo airline is being reviewed in all aspects, including technical, climatic, human, operational, and other multiple aspects. Oh, thank you for telling all us All aspects, that. multiple all aspects. All aspects, yes. Anyway, so... At first, when I saw this, I'm thinking somebody really messed up. But then, uh, uh, after we, you know, read a little bit more about it, it turns out that uh, these pilots did a great job of keeping the airplane uh, from crashing and got it back down on the ground. So, good job. Yeah, fantastic mm -hmm. job. I mean, that's that's really what we trained for, right? It's that's your that's your V one cut right there probably that's a V one cut probably right there about V one I mean that's, mm -hmm. yeah uh, prior to that you're going to abort if you lose an engine and uh, you know so they took it off the ground they used their uh, you know I'm sure max power and and just flew the airplane through it and and yeah amazing job they got lucky that uh, the clearway was good enough for them to clear everything and, and get airborne come back and put it down uh, meaningfully on the runway. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if um, I bet because it was Colombia that uh, the elevation was kind of on uh, the high I don't side. Know where Puerto elevation. Uh, so I'm Puerto, doing it. Puerto sounds like it's down on the coast. Puerto. Oh, okay. that's true. That could be. Uh, let's see. Looks like um, topographic map I'm looking at here. Uh, 51 meters above oh, sea level. Oh, so it's not. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> close to sea level. Never mind yeah. then. <laughs> Hundred and sixty-seven feet. Okay, that's that's lower than my current elevation. <laughs> Probably yeah. all of three of us, actually. Yeah, but we're but thousand the, feet over here. Yeah, uh, but one factor there that you know, of course, is what was the temperature? Yeah, exactly. So the that's average, um, the average high temperature throughout the year is the lowest average high temperature looks like eighty-eight, and the highest is ninety-seven. Yeah, so in the average challenge. high. Jet engine in a hot, humid environment is not the most efficient. And how long is the runway at Puerto Carreño? That's a good question, which I don't know the answer to. I don't either. I don't okay. either. But somebody in our live audience will figure that out for us. Staff, figure out how long the runway is there. Okay, they're on. The, uh, 
or maybe steps on it. 5,906 feet. Okay. Not, I mean, not the longest not runway in the long. world, but not super short either. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for a jet, that's kind of on the short side for sure. Yeah. Especially for a shorty called the 73200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a real old engine in it. Yeah, those JT8Ds. Mm-hmm. The lead sled. All right. Well, very good. Good job, guys and gals. Um, let's uh, finish off the news segment with this. You'll recall that that Nick did a plain tale about the, uh, it was entitled the uh, Rosinen Bomber, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Gail, it's like Gail Halverson. Uh, let's see. Tale of the. Is that right, Liz? Tale of the Rosenen Bomber uh, in uh, APG 257. That's the, that's the title of the plane tale. Yeah. Tale of okay. the Rosenen Bomber. Tale of. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so, anyway, this was sent in to us from. By Captain Nick. Captain. Captain Nick. Oh, really? I didn't know Captain Nick yeah. sent this. I thought somebody. I, I think somebody else did as well. Um, I think let, you're right. let us know yeah. that uh, yeah, the candy. Did, but, but Nick was the first one. Okay. Uh, the candy bomber of Berlin blockade, Gail Halverson, dies at 101. Um, Gail Halverson, the U.S. military pilot who brought joy to Berlin's children by dropping candy in tiny handkerchief parachutes from his plane when the Soviet Union blockaded the divided city during the Cold War, has died. He was 101. So young. Uh, he died Wednesday evening at Utah Valley Hospital in Provo after a long illness surrounded by most of his children, according to a Facebook post by his educational foundation. He was a pilot in the U.S. Army Air Corps, forerunner to the Air Force during the Second World War, ferrying transport planes in England, Italy, and North Africa. He remained in the military after the war ended, was stationed at Brickley Air Force Base in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, I, I remember Brickley. Flying C-74 Globemaster and C-54 Skymaster transports stateside. By the way, Brickley is where the uh, where the Airbus uh, manufacturing assembly plant oh, is in uh, Mobile, <laughs> Alabama. Uh, the in 1940 in 1948, the newly rechristened U.S. Air Force had renew, a renewed need for pilots in Germany, where the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin had implemented a blockade of, the, of West Berlin. And uh, the German capital was divided into zones occupied by the U.S., the U.K., France, and the Soviet Union. It was sealed off by, uh, sealed off when Stalin blocked ground transportation into the Allied sectors of the city. Flying the C-54 Skymaster, Halverson participated in the joint U.S.-U.K. effort known as the Berlin Airlift, which for almost a year delivered food and fuel to Berlin airfields from Allied bases in western Germany. So... Uh, Anyway, he lived a, an amazing life. Yeah, and a long and life. And a long life, for sure. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. rest in peace, Captain yes. Halverson. One hour, Mark, Jeff. One hour. And with that, I think it's now time to do this. Getting to Know Us, that segment of the show where we get all caught up and we talk about what's been happening since uh, we were last on the show. We'll start with uh, Steph. 
Mm. Um, it's it's been a, a, a bit since when did been I with see us. you guys last? I can't remember. I don't know. Was it this I'm year? Not sure either. Two weeks, maybe. Two weeks ago, maybe. What, what year are we in? I think we're still what? in 2022. Okay, fair enough. Beginning of 2022, still, yeah. I yeah. Think. Anyway, last week, let's go back at least that far. Um, yeah, I was um, conferencing, my favorite time of the year. Ah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Did you learn um, a lot? About- I, I did actually. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about your your career, your yes, yes. Your this is stuff. professional. This is professional development, professional education required, continuing medical education uh-huh. uh, credits. Um, I found the best way to get those is to combine as many things into one of those because often they're held at at big meetings so that you can gather a whole lot of credits all at at one time instead of just doing you know one or two here, one or two there, um, and it, you can combine it with. Other things like, um, you know, your ski vacation and what? seeing your family. So this is a particularly good one because um, it's it's close to where the rest of my family lives. We've talked about Utah a couple times already on this show today, yeah, but it's, it's out Utah in Utah. Show. Utah show. Um, yeah, out in Park City. Um, so I actually did, I did take two days of vacation. So Monday and Tuesday I had vacation days and I just, um, I was hoping my brothers would be able to join me for some skiing, but um, they're, uh, they were unable to get time off of work because there's, uh, they were quite short staffed, mm. which has been a familiar theme, uh, the past six months, year longer. I'm not sure now, but, um, but that's okay. I, um, it was nice to just actually have some time to myself. And, um, I was out at Brighton, uh, resort in Utah, just outside of Salt Lake city. And I have, I mean, I, Grew up out there and um, have been going to ski there in February for years and years and years. And wow, I have never seen it so um, such a little amount of snowfall, snow cover. Mm. Uh, it, it's very. It, I know they got some snow this week, not a ton, like may, maybe eight more inches, but that's not a lot up in the mountains. Um, places where you can normally ski. You know, point A to point B, no problem. Usually, completely groomed over, no trace of anything that might be growing or hiding underneath that snow. Um, lots of uh, exposed rocks and trees, and runs that normally appear flat to um, in normal years. Lots of bumps and grooves and crevices, just where the snow hasn't filled it in completely. Little rough, huh? Little rough. But the the good thing is, even though they hadn't had snow for a while, it had been very cold for a while before I got there. So. Um, the snow quality actually wasn't terrible for what snow was there. Um, you kind of just had to start first thing in the morning. So the best snow was right after things had been groomed. All the you know trails had been machine worked. Um, getting out there first thing in the morning and um, and freezing a little bit. I, actually, the vest I was wearing earlier is uh, is heated, and I got some heated socks, which. Oh, those are the best things ever. I wish I'd had those for, you know, however many years I've been going and skiing. Um, you just put them on the lowest setting and inside your boot, it just keeps things nice and nice and toasty. Um, and so even when it's only like, you know, 10 or well, let's see, in the morning, it was like 13 degrees Fahrenheit uh, the first couple of days I skied. Um, but yeah, it was good. I skied those two days by myself, um, enjoyed nice leisurely lunch both days. Um at uh, Molly Green's, which is a bar slash restaurant up there, and some nice chili and burritos and local beers. Mm. And um, usually it was done by about 2.30 or so, because if you start at 9 a.m. by yourself and go to 2.30 in the afternoon and you don't have anyone else to wait on or, you know, people taking bathroom breaks or food breaks or whatnot, you, you pack a lot of skiing into those several hours. Um, 
so yeah, that was that was really nice. And then on hmm, trying to think which day, I think it was Wednesday. So the conference actually started um, Wednesday morning. So I went to that, and then my brothers were able to be off on on Wednesday, so they came up to Park City and skied with me there. Um, we actually had a really nice snow day there too. Um, again, not a lot of snow cover, but where we ended up skiing and the snow quality was actually actually pretty decent. We just found it was nothing technical. It was nothing challenging. We didn't want to be on the really steep, gnarly stuff because that's the stuff that's not covered with a lot of snow right now. So we just found some some kind of gentle groomers and we, you know, enjoyed each other's company and goofed around a little bit and um, had a nice afternoon. And holy cow, it's expensive to ski in Park City these days. I'm just going to say that. I'm not sure when that happened, but wow. Um, Inflation. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, and I had a chance to ski uh, the next day, Thursday, with one of my coworkers um, at my for my job here in in North Carolina. Uh, he was out there for the conference as well. And then um, a friend from the University of Utah joined me on Friday, so I skied five days in a row, and that was that was really good. Actually, Thursday was the worst snow. It was a little bit warmer that day, and everything got kind of warm and sticky early on, and it wasn't great. But Friday was pretty good again. So yeah, and. Um, yeah, headed home on Saturday. Did a little bit of airplane ferrying in the past week. Planes back and forth for uh, 100-hour maintenance things. Um, but ends up being a little bit of cross-country time, usually night flying. And been working a lot. So uh, I think that pretty much brings me up to speed. All right. Mm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to uh, give apologies to... Um, Romeo Hotel for um, the one aircraft that we were ferrying with uh, perhaps less than um, ideal uh, comms. The radio is a bit old and tired. <laughs> a little scratchy. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's, it's finicky. You have yeah. to have the intercom switch in just the right position. And then you usually have to disconnect the, if anything's plugged in, in the right seat um, in order to increase the fidelity to that, which can be understood by people on the other side of the microphone. Well, I'm sure that those professionals at Triad they had no problem. Had no problem with that. No problem at all. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. All right. Great. So this other guy uh here um in our uh, <laughs> co-hosting window uh is somebody that I think the last time we saw Dana was uh December third for our five hundredth episode. And uh, he's back with us to kind of give us an update on what's been happening uh with you dana good to see you well hey it's yeah, great man. to be back and you. great to see you guys and uh let me tell you what 500 what a great environment that was is truthfully an honor to be a part of it and uh be a part of this whole thing uh things for me well let's see i didn't really give an update on 500 because well we had much bigger and better things to celebrate um but i think really since the last time you heard uh, was a couple feedbacks uh, as to how training went on the 7.3 for me. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, this experience, um, going back to first officer, was a bit challenging at first. However, I got to tell you what, I'm embracing it at this point. It's really, uh, uh, it's really going very well as far as my quality of life. And it's really melding really well with my ability to uh, spend a lot of quality time on the lake and uh, do things I'd like to do and enjoy to do, spend quality time with my wife. 
Uh, so that's kind of a summary of what's happened. However, let me talk a little bit more specifics about what I've been doing as far as the actual flying itself with Acme and a little bit about the 737 and what I'm looking forward to uh, going forward because we just had a big uh, uh, position award that came out just the other day, uh, actually yesterday. Um, so anyways, uh, the 737 transition, uh, it, it's not an 88. I still love my 88, and I think Jeff can uh, understand that. The 88 is a, um, it was a workhorse. It was a, a true uh, aviator's airplane. You had to know how to fly. You had to know how to manage the uh, the FMS and then the systems on the aircraft and even the brakes. I mean, the brakes were chatterworthy on the 88 especially. <laughs> chatterworthy. <laughs> That's a positive spin. <laughs> <laughs> definitely so uh but the, <laughs> that's something we don't have to worry about on the 7-3 fortunately um if they're chattering you get some major problems going on yeah uh, but and anyways, on the 717 either they've they've done a good job of fixing that issue yeah and and uh uh you know actually 717 is the quintessential perfect dc9 isn't it jeff mm-hmm, it is it really is. And if the schedules were better on that airplane, I would actually consider coming to it, but uh, probably not. Um, so 7-3 is, uh, you know, it's for me, I, I think we all knew this before I even went to the aircraft. Woo-hoo. Sorry. It's like That's... a wheelbarrow, doesn't it? What's that? Somebody, um, I, uh, I, I, I haul boxes. boxes. It flies like a wheelbarrow, doesn't it? I'm not sure how a wheelbarrow would fly, but okay. I'm, I'm trying to think about that. Would be. <laughs> you know, it's actually one of the very redeeming things about the 738 I, I still enjoy very much is being able to do what I did on the 88, and that's click it all off and fly it just like I'd fly any general aviation airplane and or try to fly the uh, 73 smoothly. It's, it's a actually mighty fine flying airplane. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, that I you know, and that I love about the 88, I'm kind of missing you on the 7.3. But still, uh, you know, as I was starting to say, is is when uh, I was going to it, we knew what the biggest problem would be for me. And it continues to be that I'm a big guy. And fitting in that cockpit is very troublesome. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I found that is most uh, troublesome to me is where my iPad sits right underneath the right window, I actually have to literally flip it up so I can fly the airplane. Because if it's down in the position where I can actually look at the approach plate, it, my arm's hitting it all the time. Hmm. So, um, you know, when I'm doing a hard IMC, I tend not to click the autopilot off. <laughs> not click the autopilot off because, you know, I just can't really uh, hand fly the airplane uh, very well with being able to see my charts. So mm-hmm. um, the quality of life, the trips I'm getting on it, uh, where I sit in seniority, I'm in the top 15% on the airplane in the right seat. So I'm getting to fly uh, real good quality trips in kind of like what uh, Dr. Seth was talking about. I actually saw that she was in Salt Lake City. And I was wondering if she was able to snow uh, to ski because I've been flying out of Salt Lake City quite a bit, and there is very little snow throughout the entire valley. Now, yeah, when you it's go on, sad. It's, it's sad. sad. Now, when you go on the uh, east side towards the Uintas um, in Park City, it looks like it has better snow on that side that they're getting equivalent, you know, normal, somewhat normal snow. But on the uh, west side, the, you know, the Alta and the Snowbirds, they're not getting very much snow from what I can see. Um, yeah, so uh, 737, I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, where I'm going next, uh, and, and I'm just going to 
leave it at that because I think where I'm going to go next is going to be very comfortable for me. And that is more than likely I've decided to hold off because mentioning uh, before that my quality of life is uh, really good. Uh, and I am uh, probably more than likely going to go to the Airbus 320 because that's where all our growth is. And um, I'm actually growing in seniority really quickly on it in the captain's seat. But I've decided to hold off on this last advanced entitlement only for one reason, because, well, I'm enjoying my life too well, too much. And the quality of life is, 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 just, um, is just that. I basically can almost handpick my trips. I'm not working, uh, you know, I'm working basically Monday through Thursdays, done generally by Thursday, early Thursday morning. And there's a lot to be said for that. Just not about, you know, flying as an airline captain. What I've been able to do is take all the experience that I have through, uh, you know, on the 88 and, of course, uh, upgrading a captain. I've now been able to, to really compartmentalize that and use that to my advantage to be an excellent FO to support any captain I'm flying with. And I just had this past week. We had a medical uh, situation on the airplane, and uh, the captain that I was flying with him, we were working really well together. He says, you, you're a captain. You know what you're doing. You handle it. I'll just fly the airplane, work the radius. So, I mean, it's just I, I really know that when I was a captain that I really appreciated when I had a first officer that was experienced, that knew what they were doing. You can rely on them, and you didn't have to watch every little move they make. Um, I, I, I appreciate that. So I've taken that and have made that decision that this is really where I want to be, uh, for the time being. And, and it's, you know, it's not the perfect airplane for me. I'm, I'm not going to say I absolutely love the airplane, um, for other reasons, which I'm not just not going to get into. Cause you know, the show's only so long today, but, uh, you know, I, I do know that, uh, going forward, um, if, if, and when I do go decide to go fly the Airbus as a captain, I'll be far more comfortable in that airplane, uh, just cause the cockpit layout is much better for a big guy like me. Um, I do want to say one thing that darn trim wheel, trim wheel on the 737. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times it's nailed me in the knee. <laughs> and my yeah. wife, Julie keeps on saying to me, well, why don't you just go ahead and wear a knee pad to work? Like, yeah, actually, some validity to that. <laughs> Because going in, going into battle, or just going to work. Not going sure. to battle. Well, but, well, you know, Dana, that that trim wheel on your seven three is a is just like the trim wheel on that seven twenty seven, and pretty much every Boeing cockpit until I guess the seven five seven six. Uh, but I think that the trim wheel was even bigger on the seven twenty seven, so you could really get whacked uh, on the seven yep. two. Yeah, you you definitely learned to not to put your knee over to the side and up against leaning up against that trim wheel. And that's that's one of the things that I have a tendency to do because my seat doesn't slide very far back and mm-hmm. there's really no room for my feet to go anywhere. So I kind of let my my knees spread apart. Yeah. And I learned my le- I mean, I've actually learned to almost anticipate when the airplane's going to make a move. And I pull my knee off, mm-hmm. off, off. It's got me a couple Pavlovian times. conditioning at its yeah. finest right there. <laughs> so it's not a man spreading airplane. No, it is not. You Stop do not the man want, spreading. You don't. You don't want to sit. You want to sit through the <laughs> legs crossed. Well, I can't do that because that yoke in my way. But uh, no, um, I will say this: is a couple things. One, I want to dispel a rumor, and that is, uh, you know, seven thirty sevens. The reason why they had to move the engines forward and up is because they didn't want to redesign the landing gear. And I don't know if any, any or most in the community even know this, but uh, the one hundred and two hundred seven thirty seven 
um, they designed the, the landing gear to be low enough for unimproved airfield so that the air steers off one left door could make it to the ground. That's why the length of the landing gear is, the, is such. So they would actually have to redesign the whole landing gear system, which would require the redesign of the main, uh, main, you know, the wing spars and everything else, and that would be a whole new airplane. So uh, that's one of the things with the uh, 737. Um, and, uh, you know, overall, just really happy to, to, to be enjoying what I'm doing and enjoying, enjoying the time I'm having out there. Um, and uh, I still have the Mad Dog. It's in the cockpit with me on my iPad. I have a picture of Jeff. And I can't remember who took the photograph when you were taking off out of Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is my background photograph on my iPad that everybody looks at me when the captains look at me. And that's all they see is my mad dog over there because I'm always talking about my mad dog and how much <laughs> I miss it. And they, every one of them think I'm crazy. But that's okay. <laughs> I still yeah, love it. But you know what? They probably never flew it, right? Yeah, a lot of the guys that I've flown with have never flown the airplane. And, yep. and, the, and the bottom line is, it's like you, you and I, Jeff. I mean, I flew it for 13 years. I taught it for three years beyond that. So I have 16 years worth of experience with it. I understood the airplane. I understood how it worked. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't take the time to learn it and understand it, then you never really did like the airplane. And, yeah. as, you know, and, and that's why a lot of people have that image of it. But you know what? The, the, the Mad Dog will always live in my heart. Uh, you know, it was tru- truly a joy to fly it, um, and I'm looking forward to going to the Airbus oh, or the seven one. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things where um, looking at Acme Airlines, uh, why is hello uh, the crew calling me? Oh no! I mean, Who? Acme crew. Acme? Sorry, Acme crew. <laughs> fix it in post. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Here, let me just press this button to. Get rid of that call. I don't think I have any requests for uh, that call. Um, <laughs> just gonna call you back. <laughs> what happened? Um, am I now still on the air? Yeah. Okay. Because the um, iPhone I'm using as my little monitor that I can see what was going on on the show uh, just blanked out, but it looks like it's back. I don't have any slip requests in. That's odd. Huh. Probably I must have done. Inverse. Yeah. Oh, it could in, be. It, You're right. Yeah, inverse assignments might be inverse. In, 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 yeah, you're number one on the airplane. Soon to be number one. So when 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 Acme calls me, this is what my ringtone sound. Uh, my ringtone sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I it, Take, cover. That. Take cover. Take <laughs> cover. Incoming. Incoming. All <laughs> uh, right. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. <Snip> <laughs> Okay, put, in the back. put the phone away. Um, <laughs> it is on silence. Okay. Anyway, um, let's see. Well, that threw us threw us for a loop here for a second, or me at least. Well, I just tried to keep it short and, and sweet. And, oh, yeah, know. good, good, good. Um, so, oh, I know what I was saying. Uh, it makes sense because Acme's fleet composition is uh, more and more, uh, you know, siding toward the Airbus side of things. And so... It just makes sense for somebody like you, Danny, who, who's going to be around for a while, to go ahead and just make the make the switch to the uh, Airbus uh, fleet and uh, and get some seniority and really enjoy the airplane. Everybody that I've talked to have, who have made the uh, switch from Boeing slash McDonnell Douglas to Airbus have uh, 
it takes some getting used to at first, but then once they do, they say it's it's great. They they uh, they really enjoy flying the airplane. So, you know, I, I received this gift once upon a time from this uh, captain. We may hmm. know him. I've got and one he, to you. It's he's, a he's, he has a funny English accent. He flew red and red and white airplanes. Oh yeah, they I think give me I this pen. I still have it sitting here waiting to uh, use it. But um, the reality is, is that you're absolutely right, Jeff. It's uh, it's crazy. I mean, I've gone from not even being able to hold the airplane in the left seat. And that's, you know, some of the positive, real positive uh, news in the industry right now. Is, it's, it's crazy. We, we have a captain that was hired, that just got the award that was hired uh, November 30th of 2021. He hasn't even mm-hmm. finished his first two officer's and a half training. Months. Right. He hasn't even finished his that. first office training. Now he's going to be a day. captain. That is so. Crazy. Uh, it's it, it's absolutely astounding how things in this business. You know, way back when I say, you know, who knows? You know, anything in this world. I always said it. Anything in this world can change overnight, mm-hmm. and you have to be ready for that. But you know, we are truly. I mean, this really is the true beginning uh, of this major shortage because of the fifteen hundred hour rule here in this country. And we are having problems even at the mainline level now trying to attract pilots. So, um, and that's for all the main lines. It's, it's just, it's it, the, the pool of pilots ava- out there that are available um, uh, is just astronomically low compared to where it's been. And, um, you know, I kind of keep my, my, my finger on the pulse of that stuff. And uh, I just, I, again, you know, we're looking at what's going on over in uh, in, in in the um, Russia, and what can happen over there, maybe. But I don't think that's going to have an effect. And you know, this is a, the quickest, fastest turnaround of any major event in the airline in any airline's history for in, in aviation. I mean, it's really two years, and we're already, you know, hiring at max levels and going forward. You know, we get huge retirements, so it's 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 looking really good for this business going forward. I'm going to pat myself on the back here and say that I predicted this two years ago. Yep. Thanks. I'm patting <laughs> you on the back. Really hit, I'm hitting your front. Wait. Sorry. That is, what? <laughs> you, you stay away from I my just back. Poke me in the, I can't get you behind. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. That was too long. Well, I mean, it, only, it, it made sense to me at the time. You know, you have um, yeah, this drastic world event and, and um, all the flying, a lot of the flying disappears overnight, so you don't need all the staff, but then you also still have people moving towards retirement at the same time you aren't training as many people. You've got the 1,500-hour rule. Come out of that event on the other side of it, um, in this case, the pandemic, and everything's going gangbusters in terms of amount of flying and flying needed. And yeah, you're going to be in a shortage situation in a hurry for pilots. Yep. Here's yep. a great uh, comment from uh, yeah, Neil great things. to run things out here. All right. There's a, a good comment uh, from Neil Lanworm. Um, well, what happened oh, to it? Hang on. Somebody, somebody I was just trying to get, uh, I, what okay. am I doing here? I I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm no. screwing things up. <laughs> so Dana flies around with a photo of the 88. Isn't that a bit like carrying a photo of your ex-girlfriend? No wonder it gets him with the trim wheel. Oh, yeah, that's right. Never thought about the feelings of that airplane, Dana. <laughs> yeah, you didn't consider well, it's, you know, it's it's kind of the seven three's got hurt feelings. It does. I, I, I can I have a moment of of uh, with this? It it actually that actually hits a, a nerve. It, it's a it's a good nerve and a bad nerve. And I'll say, I when I was after the eighty eight, I flew my last flight on the airplane, and I didn't even know it was my last flight. And uh, I was sitting there, uh, fast forward about eight months. And I was deadheading on the 717. 
And I was sitting there in the back, you know, in, the, in the back of the airplane. I think it was an emergency exit row. And I'm looking around. It looks just like an idiot in, inside. And I just started crying. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I sitting there crying? Well, I had I finally came to realization as to what had happened. And you were sitting was, on the seatbelt. No, they okay. poured hot coffee in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, if you were in the middle sorry, of we've a very this emotional, sentimental, <laughs> emotional moment. Well, it, 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 but it's it is exactly to that point that uh, Neil just made, and that is, I realized it's kind of like that high school girlfriend that breaks up with you, and you no longer can see her or be around her or 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 be involved in this life. It was just taken away from me, and that's really where it kind of hit me when I was sitting in that seat, and, and I kind of at that point said. Well, I don't have that girlfriend anymore. She's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. Might as well move on. And that's that was kind of like a, a eureka moment for me uh, in kind of saying my goodbyes that I never had a chance to say to the 88. So that's kind of right on the head, Neil, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that high school girl's name? Carrie. <laughs> anyway, you have to be old enough to understand the reference to that movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I do. <laughs> I got the Mr. Ed references earlier, but that one. But not Carrie? Sorry. The movie? The horror uh, movie? I, I'm familiar with the movie. I never watched it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me just quickly uh, get caught up with uh, with me. You've been flying. I've uh, been flying. Uh, flew a four-day trip this week. It was, uh, it was not the best trip in the world. Kind of long days on the second and third day and uh, the first and fourth days were nice and short. So, um, but um, makes me appreciate uh, the, the, the better trips when I have them. Uh, but I, uh, let's see, what was I going to say? Oh, the advanced entitlement that uh, Dana was referring to earlier. Um, a little story about that. Don't want to go into too much detail because of don't want to, you know, drag you through the weeds, but uh Come somebody on, we want in, to hear about it, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> and Come somebody, on. somebody in my seniority range, which is, you know, I'm in my, my twilight years, I guess, for my airline career, uh, just under two, two years Sunset to go. Years. Sunset years. Thank you, Liz. Um, the, uh, the opportunity sometimes presents itself with, and by the way, I, my seniority number system wide is less than 500 out of what, or what do we have now? Almost 13,000 now. Dana pilots, I think, I think it's something over, like that. Well over thirteen thousand. Yeah. Um, so basically, my seniority uh, would allow me to fly captain on any airplane that we fly at Acme. Um, and but I choose to fly really the smallest uh, airplane in our fleet uh, because you know um, I like flying the kind of trips that I'm flying, short little hops here and there, and uh, staying within the same time zone or maybe within one time zone change. And uh, I like it. And for an older person, uh, it, it kind of suits me. And I think, truly believe that the, the long haul stuff really is best suited for younger pilots, in my opinion. But anyway, um, sometimes people in my predicament, in my seniority range, will kind of try to fiddle around with the system. Game and the system. Game, game the, the system. system. There we go. Thank you, Liz. And, uh, and what I mean by that is that I, uh, some pilots in my seniority range, uh, have been kind of discussing this strategy, which is to bid an airplane like the Airbus A350, uh, but 
uh, when we put our choice for that airplane in, we tick the checkbox that says uh, request a training bypass. And what that means is that um, if they awarded me the A350 and also rewarded me or awarded me with the uh, training bypass, it means that I would get paid just as if I were flying the A350 because we in the U.S., the way we get paid is uh, our hourly rates are based upon the airplane, uh, size of the airplane. So the A350 is at the top of the stack. And um, so it would mean that it would allow me to continue to fly the 717. I wouldn't have to go to school, and, but I would get paid as if I were flying the A350. And that sounds like a good deal. it gives me a lot of advantage as far as my seniority and picking up overtime flying and everything else. It just gets better and better. The downside, the risk, of course, is that if you request that and they say, yeah, we'll give you the A350, but we're not going to give you a training bypass, then congratulations, Jeff, you get to go to Airbus A350 school. And then you get to fly the A350 and those trips that you really don't want to fly. And then, so that's the, that's the risk and, and the gamble. And I, there was just something about it that just didn't feel right to me. And I decided not to pull that trigger. Uh, the number one guy on my fleet did uh, put in for that. And as Dana mentioned, the uh, results came out yesterday and <laughs> the, uh, that, that person was awarded the A350. Uh, Not the but training bypass? No training bypass. Oh, no. Wow. Oops. Oh, my God. So guess what? I am going to be the number one. <laughs> 717. You're number one. You're number one. <laughs> Yay. Hey. Not that it makes any difference, really. Uh, uh, you know, it, it practically speaking, you know, I, I, I probably would fly the same trips I'm flying now. But it's just it kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm the number one 717 pilot. Uh, so oh you didn't put in for it though. Yeah. I'm so happy that I did not uh, put in for it, Liz, because I don't know what it was. It was just something that didn't feel right. And I went with my yep. gut yep. and, uh, and sure enough, uh, at the poor, the poor guy, that's the number one guy. Um, kinda, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not very happy. <laughs> he, uh, he really, that. he really well, thought maybe that he'll really love the A350. Yeah, you, you never know. No. You never know. And you know, is he the same age as you, Jeff? He is four days older than me, Liz. So I, it turns out I always thought he was younger than me, and I thought his retirement date was after mine. So I thought that I would never get to the number one spot. Uh, but it turns out that for four days, had, yeah, for four days, I would have been the number one guy. Uh, but now it looks like I'm going to have more time at number one because as soon as he goes to training on a, at that A350, uh, he'll he'll be out of my way. Now I won't have to worry about whether he's going to bid for one of the trips that I want to fly. Um, so that's yeah. cool, though. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so happy that I something told me. Yeah, well, don't done. do it. Listen to that gut. Don't baby. do it. Yeah, I think I think we both had the same person on our shoulders saying, "Don't do it," because uh, you know it's. Uh, I think your time will be the next one. I think you'll you'll get the bypass. Yeah, fortunately. I think, yeah, I, I, there's probably a much better chance of it uh, next time around. So we will see. We will see. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the cover art from the last episode. And that uh, episode title was The Tracks of My Gears. Of course, a, a, a takeoff on the tracks of my tears. And uh, the tracks in this case are a, a 33 and a third um long playing LP album uh, from the vinyl record days that 
some of you may be uh well you know even the even the cool young kids probably know about the vinyl uh these days it's kind of a cool thing now but uh, there's a picture of a of a, a 33 and a third long playing uh, album and uh has a wonderful little label the, the challenge here is to find the show number the mast apg choir uh the label of course of the record company is his captain's voice uh just like the little rca dog in front of the little uh what is that thing called the uh the record player there, Victrola. Victrola or something like that. Anyway, but instead of the dog, it's me. So apparently Captain Nick thinks uh, that I'm the same as a dog, um, which I guess is kind of a not a bad thing. Um, He's always so flattering with his compliments he is very that he pays flattering. to us, directly or indirectly. Did you notice it was so also not starring, not starring Steph- <laughs> yeah. Stephanie Plummer? I noticed um, that. Yeah, I love the label and uh, a lot of great uh, songs on here. Slip Sliding Away. Oh, by the way, this is in reference to the Airbus A321 that kind of kind of slid off the uh, side of the runway in Atlanta uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, of course, Slip Sliding Away, Crash, Boom, Bang <laughs> is the second track. Uh, the third track is uh, Till the Wheels Fall Off. <laughs> and for, <laughs> let's see, Skid, Dat De Dat. Is that the way you'd say that? Skid dat de dat? Sure. And then uh, five, spare tire. So, oh, and then as <laughs> Liz was saying, so what What Captain Nick likes to do with the artwork, uh, I don't know if all he of you are aware He does this just for Liz, I think. I think it's mostly for Liz, yes, Steph. Uh, he'll try to put the episode number uh, in, somewhere on the cover art. And sometimes it's quite obvious. Other times, not so much. And in this case, he tried to throw everybody off because on the upper left side, he has APG 610. And I'm thinking, it was not APG 610, it was 509. And people were pulling their hair out trying to figure out where he hid the episode number. And you have to have almost like a micro microscope to actually find it. But if you look at a little thumb uh, fingerprint mark on the right side of the uh, Acme Airlines wings... Uh, kind of looks like just a smudge, but you have to really, really, really zoom in and you have to put your glasses on if you wear them. And then you'll see a very, very faint APG 509 there. Yeah, it's almost impossible to see it. I see it. Classic, though. It's one of his best. Yeah, his best. it's one of his best. So uh, check out the cover art, APG 509. And Captain Nick, we miss you. I wish you were here to kind of take the accolades for this wonderful piece of artwork, but uh, he always does a great job with that. Just before we go to the coffee fund, Jeff, uh, Mike is saying you got to have a new PA uh, introducing yourself as the number one pilot. Be particularly obnoxious. Yeah, Mike is saying um, I should make a, uh, I should start making PAs when I become the number one captain. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Delta Flight 544-5010. Acme. Acme. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Acme. Yeah, Mike, you should know better. Uh, I'm Captain Jeff Nielsen, the number one pilot for Acme's 717s. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be... That's your style, right? That's yeah. not my style. <laughs> well, I boxes thought you should at least get an entry your introduction for the show, the number one pilot yeah, at major U.S. airline. It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. <laughs> Anywho, uh, that's going to do it. I, I think that's pretty amazing if you ask me. Well, okay. Um, it is. He's too humble. What did I? Th- he is. He really is. He's the number one seven one seven captain at Acme. There's nobody senior to him that flies that airplane. 
That's amazing. There's nobody older That's... than you. <laughs> Thank you, Steph. Bringing You're me awesome. back down to earth. Yeah. Yeah, I do appreciate that. That's why I don't do that kind of stuff, Dana. It's because of people like Steph. Just going to rub my nose in it. Make it a negative thing. Burst bubble, baby. Yeah, burst my bubble. All right. My dogs um, are excited for you, though. Oh, That's thank you. Yes, very, yeah, they're yes. very happy for me. Very thank excited. you, Taco. Thank you, Truman. Um, what? I was going to say something else. I'm going to be um, next week, another three-day trip with uh, Brent Heron, uh, one of my favorite first officers uh, now on the uh, airplane. And uh, we are going to be in Dayton and what? Oh, okay. I will not say a thing about that, Liz. Don't worry. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, and um, I'm glad that you said that though because I may have spilled those I knew beans. You were going there. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, and um, Wichita, and uh, and I'm meeting up with uh, Paul Verhagen uh, in uh, in Dayton. He's driving up from Cincinnati, so if anybody's in the Dayton area and you want to get together with us on a kind of a kind of mid that, to late is this afternoon like a Dayton app. It's like a date nap to me. It's a date. No, not a date nap like a Tinder. No, not, nothing oh, okay. like it at all. It's a Dayton, okay. Ohio. <laughs> okay, um, Liz is getting all excited for me. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that profile. there you have it. And now it's time for us to talk about coffee and specifically the coffee fund. And now I guess Dana is going to sing the coffee fund. <laughs> I love Come on. Coffee. I love tea. I love the CPG community. I still remember this. Awesome. Good job. The latency wasn't bad at all. No, it's not at all. That was terrible. <laughs> Keep your day job, Colton. It's you know what I'm leaving it in there just like that. It's no, priceless. please. Yes. Okay. Editing let's talk post, about the please. let's talk about the coffee fund. A uh, couple different ways to do that, uh, and uh, you can go to airlinepilotguy.com/slash/coffee to find out how. Uh, the first is Dana's going to tell us about that. Apparently, <laughs> Liz, come on, get it under control. What are you doing? I don't know how to make you. I don't know how to make you the big guy. Oh, yeah, what? How do I make you number one. I'll do it. Do there you go. You, that little you. thing in the upper left-hand corner is how you solo. Oh. Yeah. I, well, you've been. I thought you've been doing that week after week after week. I guess somebody else <laughs> has been doing I it. I thought I had. Oh, okay. No, I have. It wasn't Gosh, me. The I darn, wasn't here. The darn um, coffee fund jingle is going to run out by the by the time I. Oh well, I'll move on here. Uh, so I think we have, if you'll show here, I'll put that in there. Oh, I just did. (laughs) Oh, I think we should just move on to feedback. (laughs) Coffee fund. We have Jenny in Rome, uh, contributing to the uh, coffee fund classic method. And just a quick mention, no new patrons via Patreon, but, um, it was Zach Berger um, who started out as a producer, then moved himself up to executive producer. <laughs> oh, I'm getting dizzy. That what wasn't me. Doing? That was not me. That wasn't me. I did not do that. I think that uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about and you're listening to the uh, audio only, you really need to look at the, the video to see the craziness going on in our video right now. Okay. Liz is saying it wasn't her. It's not her fault. Anyway. 
um zach berger is now um and uh, what is it what, what do we call that uh assistant uh, senior executive senior producer executive. or something he's like the almost the top tier um thank you very much zach for uh for for changing the tier uh and uh, becoming a um ten dollars or more per episode patron of the show we really appreciate that so and any anything at all that you contribute to the show is much appreciated folks and so again if you want to learn more about the uh, what do we call that again? The coffee fund. Head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. I will too. And I'll be glad to finish up with this coffee fund segment on this show. Captain, incoming message. The first item in our feedback notebook is from Jonathan. Dear Captain Jeff and crew, a pretty disturbing scene on an American Airlines flight from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. over the weekend. Obviously, we all know the plane door can't be opened in flight, and the flight deck door is pretty well secured, too. But still a shocking scene when a passenger tries to use a piece of plastic cutlery as a shank. Anything you all would have done differently here? Perhaps the pilots could have been a little bit more insistent on getting down on the ground? or not worth causing a scene when the situation could ultimately be contained. Audio and story below. And this is from Jonathan in Minneapolis, who was born in KC. We should mention Jeff. We should mention Jeff. Rick heard this. That Rick. Rick heard this on oh, air right. traffic control when he was flying. Miami Rick was flying at the time, and he heard this on the radio when this happened. Yep. And uh, let's see. So we're going to play a little bit of ATC audio from liveatc.net. And... Uh, Let's uh, see how this sort of, I have to apologize right up front. I did try to clean up some of this audio. It's not good quality. And just also should mention that the audio that you hear on uh, liveatc.net is not really official uh, recorded audio from the uh, FAA. This is, uh, these are volunteers that have scanners all across the country and near airports and that kind of thing. Uh, that pick up these uh, radio communications. Sometimes they're really good and crystal clear. Other times, they're not so great. And and sometimes they combine multiple frequencies, so yeah. you miss parts of what's being said, and that's why. Right. And it, it, uh, it, I get this question a lot, but it does sound better when you're in the air on the radio listening. Unless you're in that clear. airplane that you were in the other night. Uh, we can hear fine. They just oh, can't okay. hear us. They can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's um, fine. So, yeah, like the the end from the pilots then is, uh, well, anyway. Uh, so let's take a listen to this and see what we can uh, come up with. Roger, 
All right. Sorry again for that terrible audio. Uh, but a California man allegedly tried to force his way into the cockpit of an American Airlines plane uh, and open a, an emergency hatch, an emergency uh, door, uh, cabin door, during a cross-country flight on Sunday afternoon, prompting airline staff and passengers to restrain him until the plane made an unscheduled landing at Kansas City International. Juan Roberto Rivas, Rivas, 50, of California is charged with one felony count of interference with a flight attendant. Prosecutors in the Western District of Missouri announced on Monday he was a passenger on American Airlines Flight 1775. According to an affidavit written by an FBA, FBI agent, passengers and flight staff told authorities of a harrowing scene on the airplane where Rivas allegedly said he wanted to bring down the plane. Several flight attendants reported to the, to the FBI that Rivas had expressed paranoia about people following him and trying to harm his family during the flight. At one point, he requested to be moved to first class because he was afraid of another passenger, a flight attendant said, but was instead moved oh. to another row. You know, I'll try to I'll try to remember that in the future when I want to move. Good tactic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah afraid. That, that, I'm afraid of this guy here. Can I go to first paranoia class? You got him to see up there, right? Yeah. A paranoia upgrade, it's <laughs> called, Lo says. Okay, uh, Rivas had attempted to dial 911. <laughs> That's probably not going to work very well in flight, uh, but was then informed by airplane staff that calls could not be completed during flight. Your call is important to us, though. Uh, at one point during the flight, several passengers noticed Rivas had gone toward the front of the plane near the cockpit and a work area for the flight attendants. One thought he may have been intoxicated, though, Flight staff later reported that he had not been served any alcohol since the plane had taken off roughly two and a half hours earlier. Rivas allegedly grabbed silver, excuse me, plastic silverware from one of the service carts and began holding the utensil like a shank. Then he grabbed a small bottle of champagne, a little little mini bottle, and uh, attempted to break it on the, I guess it was like a, like a half size. Uh, it was like a, a, a ship, like the, the little, yeah. Yeah. Launching a ship. <laughs> not not one of those little tiny ones. Not the tiny ones, but yeah, how many milliliters are those? Are like 500, 500 milliliters? Or that would be a 350, 375, I think. 375? Uh, half of a 750. Yeah. yeah okay, a regular yeah, bottle of 750. Sure. So it would be like sure, 375. Sure. Uh, attempted to break it on a counter, according to the complaint. He then started to kick and push the service cart into flight attendants. Uh, during the scuffle, he tried to, allegedly tried to open the door to the cockpit. And he said he was yelling, we're going to bring down the plane. He also attempted we, to pull. Huh? We are going to bring down the plane. Oh, what did I say? Yeah. Like, no, no. I guess it was his paranoid friends. That oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. We, for some reason, he said, we are going to bring down the plane instead of I am going to bring down the plane. Uh, yeah, it was his friend, Liz. You know, his, He just uh, thought and, everyone was with friend. him. Yeah, you he, know? Thought, he thought he was leading the charge. <laughs> yeah. He also attempted to pull open an emergency hatch. Again, I don't know what they're talking about there. Um, another flight attendant walked toward the front of the plane with a coffee pot and struck Rivas twice in the head. Yeah, I like past, it. I yeah, like it. Sorry. Getting Ooh. into it. Yeah. WTF. Uh, other, or no, what's it called? The World Wrestling Foundation? WWF. WWF. <laughs> what? WTF. WWF. Other passengers, including WWE a Maryland cop. Now. Who? Uh, oh, it's something else now. Liz is correcting yeah, the WWF me. WWF is worldwide. WWE. WWE. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I don't sorry. know. I don't keep World it. Wrestling Entertainment. Something like mm -hmm. that. Something like oh, okay. That. Uh -huh. Well, we're kind of getting off into the into the rabbit hole here. These um, are important things. But yeah. Okay. It's very important. Well, let's talk a little bit about that then. 
No, let's don't. Uh, other passengers, including a Maryland cop, told investigators he punched Rivas in the face, joined in the struggle. Uh, he was then restrained with handcuffs, zip ties, and duct tape. The complaint says he was taken into FBI custody after the plane's unscheduled landing. Under the felony charge, Rivas faces a maximum sentence of 20 years imprisonment. He just so, wanted a retirement plan. Yeah. He was looking for times. his his all-inclusive stay. Yes, all-inclusive. All, all, everything's paid for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great that's true. Great comment from I-Hall Boxes here. I-Hall Boxes is saying uh, caffeine can trigger a headache. Well, the coffee pot. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Very clever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did you catch it, Jeff, when they said the level threat in, yeah, in the audience? Yeah, I did. I yeah, that. I yeah. That. yeah. That's something yeah, you don't so. hear very often. We have threat no, levels that you know. we are trained in, and we can't ta- really talk about it because it's actually confidential information. Yes. But uh, the air traffic control needed to know what threat level they were in. And uh, I, I, won't say it's, I won't say exactly what four is, but it's pretty high up there. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, that's it's very that's need no information only. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they did. I thought they did a really good job of getting the airplane uh, turned toward Kansas City, get that thing on the ground before this guy caused any more issues. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, air traffic control initially told like cleared them direct to Kansas City International. I'm thinking, you know, what are the chances they have that in the box yet? Like zero, <laughs> and then finally said, zero we, direct. That's that's like, what he said. Yeah, it took him a while, but he finally yeah. said, "Can we get a vector, please?" You know, and then they gave him a vector over that way. Um, but otherwise, vector, I vector? thought that uh, everybody did a really nice job of uh, handling the situation, especially the. Uh, uh, I don't know if you heard it; it was hard to hear. But there were two uh, uh, armed passengers aboard the flight that uh, uh, helped take care of the situation as well Neil knows the codes yeah well it's it's amazing I, i'm sorry i haven't <laughs> i'm sorry uh, the oh, comment from uh, no, the, uh, threat level Neil. five requires the use of two coffee pots <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't see that <laughs> so Defcon coffee pot neil come on you're giving this stuff away we're gonna get in trouble we can't talk about that anymore okay stop it uh go ahead dana no, I was just gonna say it just seems as though uh, you know it, on most of my flights where I have the most problems, and I've had some problems. I've had to have several people arrested, believe it or not. Uh, it seems to be California. Ah, those it darn seemed, Californians! I'm I know. telling you what, when we, we know a few of them, and they're <laughs> definitely trouble. <laughs> Who was born in California? I, just I was Captain Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but I got out of Los there Alamitas. early enough. Yeah, thirteen <laughs> years old. I was Every I was now and then it oh, one's a Californian, always a Californian. <laughs> hey, yeah, shut up. I'm going to bash this beer can in your face if you don't shut up. <laughs> I got my own. Gonna... <laughs> People are after me. You're all after Uh-oh. me. Threat level five at the cabin. Threat, Threat level, level five. five at the cabin. Threat level 10. <laughs> <laughs> Death con 10. Here we go. Threat level 150. I don't know what that is, but it's serious. You people disgust me. Okay. <laughs> Um, Are you feeling have paranoid? You, and, honest question, mm-hmm. Jeff. Have you see, seen uh, any? Because this is, I mean, it might be on the longer transcons, and I'm, I'm seeing it. Uh, but on the shorter flights, you guys having a lot of problems with people wearing masks and flight attendants no. having to call up? Yeah, see, now, I think, I think that's more specific to the longer flights. And Californians. 
Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you on that, Dana. The longer that you have to wear it for more. Well, so, you know, if you're on a longer flight, more opportunities to consume food, beverage, and at some point you get fatigue about it. And even those of us who are super compliant, you know, if you start doing something else, you get distracted and you're like, oh, uh, I should put this back on because I'm not going to you. a great you know. show title. Well, and it also, California I crack mean, pots versus coffee pots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be yeah. the show title right there. It might be. That's not bad. Yeah. I did um, like Paranoia Upgrade, though. But. Paranoia Upgrade, yes. Um, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So um, it, it seems as though it, it, on the longer flights, I mean, people people react to the way that they're talked to. I think, and I think people are really tired of being told the to put their mask on, right? <laughs> so, and then you get the mask police, and and I, one of the PAs, that, and you may have talked about this a long Look, time ago, that I can't hours, stand is minutes. that it is a federal mandate; it is not a federal law. Yep. And when flight attendants make that, then you know that they're going to be back there, like, uh, like uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good name. Uh, you know, like like big guy, right? it's just going to be the enforcer on the airplane. And flight attendants tend to, you know, overstep their bounds in the way that they present themselves. I'm not saying they're overstepping their bounds, what they're doing for their job, but if they if they they're gruff, I guess is the best way of saying it. Maybe that passenger is reacting to the way right. they're being talked to. Right, they'll get again, triggered. Yeah, they're getting triggered. So people are already on edge, and then all it takes is a trigger, and that's why. Uh, you know, incidents in the sky are so high. And, you know, it is a violation of federal law not to listen to crew member instruction. That's true. That's that's where the issue is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so behave, people, even you Californians, especially you Californians. They, and they don't want me coming out. Uh, none of us do. No. No. All right, yeah, oh, with your baseball awesome. bat. Still have a baseball bat, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I still uh, brief. I brief like that. So, you know, <laughs> if you're going to kill me, I'll knock you out. We'll talk about it later. Okay. All right. Now it's time for the best part of the show, which of course, you know, it's the old pilot's plain tale. And this week, the episode title, hmm, wow, I'm not sure I can pronounce this, but I'll try. Frederick Carl von Koenig Warthausen and the Crazy Baron. Excellent. I think he did that on purpose. So you'd have to read it. The Old Pilots Plain Tales. Friedrich Karl von Koenigwurthausen and the Crazy Baron. Fritz as Friedrich Karl Richard Paul August Freiherr König von und zu Warthausen was probably known to his friends, climbed out of his little aircraft and stretched his legs. It had been a long flight, but he had at last reached his destination, Bushir, on the eastern side of the Persian Gulf. Across the rough dirt of the airfield where he landed, he could see a big monoplane glinting in the sun. It was a grand sight to find another German aircraft there, a Junkers W33 with its distinctive corrugated metal skin and stylish enclosed cockpit, a far cry from his own flimsy machine. 
The German pilots greeted each other and marvelled how, in 1928, they should have met in such a remote place, some 3,300 miles, 5,300 kilometres from the fatherland. It's doubtful that the Junkers pilot knew much about the young 22-year-old airman with his flimsy little aircraft, but the gaunt and weathered baron was well known to von Koenig Worthausen. This was the crazy baron, as the Americans had dubbed him, more formally known as Ehrenfried Günther Freiherr von Hünefeld. Von Hünefeld's life hadn't been easy, but he'd certainly lived it to the full. He grew up in East Prussia, and his childhood had been marked by several serious illnesses, which left him blind in his left eye and nearsighted in his right, a condition which he corrected with a monocle. After studying philosophy and literature at Berlin University, he tried to join the German air service as a volunteer to fly and fight in the First World War, but he was rejected because of his poor health. That didn't stop him, however. He was accepted as a motorcyclist and he served at the front until he was badly wounded in both legs. After several operations, he was left with one leg shorter than the other and was unable to remain in military service. He became a diplomat and then served as a spokesman for the Neudeutsche Lloyd Shipping Company. Von Hunefeld never lost his interest in aviation and he was inspired by a generation of groundbreaking pilots such as Alcock and Brown, who completed the first non-stop transatlantic flight, Bird and Bennett, who had flown over the North Pole, and Charles Lindbergh, who had crossed the Atlantic solo. The mighty first flights were fast being conquered, so Hunefeld set his sights on one of the few remaining Crossing the Atlantic west to east had been the chosen direction because of the prevailing winds that would aid flights in that way. As yet, nobody had succeeded in flying a crossing against the wind from east to west, even though it had been nearly a decade since the first successful crossing in the favoured direction. In 1927, Hunefeld bought two Junkers W33s from the Junkers Company in Dessau and named them after Norddeutsches Lloyd's two flagships, the SS Bremen and the SS Europa. His ambitious flight was being supported by two key personnel, Hermann Kohl, a World War I pilot and now head of the night-flying department of Deutsche Lufthansa, and Hugo Junkers himself, the chief designer and owner of Junkers Aircraft Works. The W-33 was a fine aircraft for the time. Made from duraluminium, it was a low-winged cantilever monoplane, something of a departure from the contemporary biplanes being produced in the UK and the US. Early ones had an open cockpit, but Hunefelds featured a comfortable enclosed space for the pilots. 
powered by a single Junkers L5 six-cylinder water-cooled inline piston engine producing 306 horsepower, it could cruise along at over 90 miles an hour, and modified versions would set many records, such as an endurance flight of over 52 hours and a height record of nearly 42,000 feet. With the renowned aviator Herman Cole, the Baron set off for Baldonnell in Ireland in 1928. There they met James Fitzmorris of the Irish Air Corps, who was to become their third crew member, and whose aid would be invaluable. Although aviation met forecasting was in its infancy, it had grown considerably in the nine years since Alcock and Brown made their first flight. The British Met Office now received twice daily observations from 75 North American stations, plus a dozen or so from ships making the Atlantic crossing. They were able to provide the pilots with winds at the surface and 2,000 feet, general weather, low cloud details, visibility and sea state. Having arrived in Ireland in March, the Bremen barely turned a wheel for a couple of weeks, while storms and heavy rain beat down on its metal wings, and even when the rain eased, the sodden airfield took a while to dry out. The weather on the other side was being fairly dramatic as well. Whilst New York was suffering a minor heat wave of 27 degrees centigrade, which is 80 Fahrenheit, there were heavy snowstorms over the central states. Fitzmaurice was keeping in close touch with a Captain Entwistle, a Met officer at the Air Ministry, and eventually it was decided that conditions were suitable for the attempted flight. The fuel tanks were topped off and the wings coated in paraffin wax in an attempt to stop ice forming on them. A 6pm start was delayed so that they could receive a final evening forecast from London. It showed a mid-Atlantic wind of 10 miles an hour from the surface to 5,000 feet in a south and east direction, but the further west he went, the wind shifted to west and west-northwest, 30 to 35 miles an hour at 2,000 feet. Von Hunefeld and his crew discussed their options. The shorter Great Circle route to St. John's in Newfoundland had better weather, but it was 300 miles north of the main shipping lines, which was the safer option should they come down in the ocean. However, that route was influenced by a depression that would result in stronger headwinds and poor weather. After a final conference at midnight, the decision was made. They would take the northerly route. Fitzmaurice grabbed a few hours sleep and awoke early to prepare the Bremen. At 5.31 in the morning, the sun rose, and with von Hunefeld and Cole at the controls, they started up the big L5 engine and pointed the Bremen down the grass strip. The sky was clear and the wind calm as they took off. An hour and a half later, they were reported over Galway and then over the Slinehead Lighthouse at 500 feet. Pretty soon they encountered overcast skies and drizzle, so descended down to 50 feet over the waves. But clear of that and in freshening winds, they climbed up to 3,000. At the three-hour mark and every three hours after that, they made a drift check. 
they dropped a pair of smoke bombs at a timed interval and then turned back to take readings as they passed over them, checking the wind direction and their ground speed. At 27 degrees west, they made a position check and descended back to 50 feet to avoid the freshening winds. As darkness approached, they estimated that they had reached 42 west and were encountering increasingly strong headwinds. That wasn't their only problem, however, as their path was blocked by a towering wall of black cloud reaching up to at least 20,000 feet. Worried about ice, they descended to 50 feet, but the mountainous waves threatened to pluck them from the sky, so they climbed up to 6,000 feet. The Junkers was rocked and buffeted by the storm, and they flew on in pitch blackness for hour after hour. Relying completely on their primitive instruments, they were forced to fly on by torchlight when the cockpit lights failed. Ice was rapidly forming on the airframe, so they gingerly descended into warmer air, and then they thought they had an oil leak. Fitzmaurice clambered around the airframe but couldn't find the source of the oil loss. Fearing an engine failure, they turned to try and find land as soon as possible and continued on in a desperate struggle with the storm and the blackness. After enduring five or six hours of this torment, they suddenly found themselves in clear air. Two more hours of westerly flight and they spotted white patches below them, which they assumed were patches of fog, but after dropping a white signal flare, they discovered a snow-covered hill. Uncertain of where they had arrived, when the sun came up, they discovered a large error in their compass of nearly 40 degrees. They fought their way through a heavy blizzard until they found a lighthouse and with their fuel reserves down to two hours, they put down on a nearby frozen lake and promptly broke through the ice, damaging the Bremen and making further flight that day impossible. The lighthouse keeper of Greenlee Isle took them in and for the first time in 36 hours, they were able to rest. Receptions were held and the trio fated across Canada and the US and the press dubbed him as the Crazy Baron. They were given a ticker tape parade in New York and became the very first non-Americans ever to be awarded the US Army Air Corps Distinguished Flying Cross. After returning to Germany, von Hunefeld nearly lost his life to appendicitis but barely recovered he made plans to fly his other Junkers, Europa, around the world. The Swedish pilot, Carl Gunnar Lindner, joined him and their flight goes well, which is how, on September the 21st, 1928, on the distant Iranian airfield of Bushir, they encountered the young aristocrat. Friedrich Karl Richard Paul August Freiherr König von und zu Worthausen. The eldest son of Friedrich Karl Wilhelm Freiherr König von und zu Worthausen, like his idol von Hunefeld, Fritz grew up in the family castle, Schloss Worthausen, with all the privileges of an aristocrat, great wealth, fine schooling, and the freedom to pursue his dreams. 
He studied law and economics at universities in Munich, Königsberg, Berlin and England, whilst enjoying his hobbies, one of which was flying. His parents bought him his own aircraft, a Clem L-20B, which I should point out was no big Yonkers, capable of transcontinental flight. The Clem was a small two-seat wooden fabric monoplane that weighed a mere 600 pounds, only 270 kilograms, which would today class it as a light sports aircraft, micro-light or ultra-light. It landed at 20 miles an hour, and despite only having an air-cooled Daimler-Benz flat twin producing barely 20 horsepower, it cruised at a reasonable 65 miles an hour. Fritz was a natural pilot, though, and it only took him 12 hours of instruction to qualify for his licence. The year all this was going on, President Hindenburg of Germany donated a cup to recognise the achievements in powered flight, imaginatively called the Hindenburg Cup. When young Fritz heard about it, he was determined to become the first recipient and the first to win the 10,000 mark prize money that went along with it. By the time he set off, he'd only acquired five hours of flight in his little aircraft, which he had named Kamerad, which translates to comrade or companion in English. The only modification he made to his Clem was to increase the size of the fuel tank fourfold. He decided that a 1,000-mile flight from Berlin to Moscow would put him in the running for the cup. So at 11pm on August 9, 1928, he took off from Berlin's Tempelhof Airport into the darkness in an aircraft with only a rev counter, vertical speed indicator and a magnetic compass to navigate by, with maps torn from his school atlas. The long flight had been fraught with danger, particularly when fatigue started to overcome him. He would fly with the aircraft trim nose down, so that if he fell asleep, the aircraft would start to descend and the rise in engine noise would wake him. On occasions, he would find himself having to descend through cloud, which he did, using the light from the moon or the sun to keep himself upright. Sixteen hours later, with rain whipping his face so that he could hardly see, the weather forced him to land, only thirty miles from his destination. But he knew that if he flew too long in the rain, the fabric of the Clem L-20 would become waterlogged and lose tension. After a rest, when the weather cleared, the next morning he continued on to Moscow's Kadinka Aerodrome, where he landed safely. It seemed that he might not have done enough to win the Hindenburg Cup, so following the advice of Russia's Minister of War, General Semyon Budyoni, he continued his flight through Bakau, Pashlevi and Tehran. En route, his little aircraft was attacked by eagles, who seemed intent on bringing him down, but he managed to dive away before one hit the propeller and erect it. In Tehran, he was the guest of honour at a banquet. He flew on through Qom, Istfahan, and towards Shiraz, when a forced landing on a mountain precipice stranded him for a week. 
It took him this time to fix the problem and then, with the help of local tribesmen, to build a runway to take off from. Eventually he reached Bushir and met his hero, Hunefeld. Here he is informed that he has indeed won the Hindenburg Cup. Friedrich was inspired by the Baron and would eventually rename his little aircraft Hunefeld in his honour. The crazy Baron would continue east in a bid to complete his round-the-world flight, but his attempt would end in Tokyo, when his poor health overcame him. He returned to Berlin and died of stomach cancer early the following year. For the young Friedrich, his fabulous journey was far from done. He carried on through Karachi to Calcutta, where he met Mahatma Gandhi, and in Agra he took time to view the magnificent Taj Mahal. He went on hunting trips and travels by mule into Tibet and Nepal. On his way to Bangkok, he was nearly brought down by a huge tropical thunderstorm and was delayed by the monsoons, but he met a wife of the King of Siam and was given a companion to help guide him her rare Siamese cat. Tanim, as the kitten was named, accompanied him for the rest of his amazing journey. He flew over Penang to Singapore when he detoured to cross the equator before taking a ship to Shanghai and then back into the air to Nanking. Kobe in Japan was the next stop and then on to Tokyo before sailing to San Francisco in the United States. His adventures would continue as he flew from coast to coast, meeting celebrities and dignitaries, surviving a serious car crash and suffering the occasional flying accident as well. By the time he reached Roosevelt Field, the airfield used by Charles Lindbergh to start his crossing of the Atlantic, it was November 1930 and time to head back to Germany. He dismantled his trusty aircraft and boarded an ocean liner to sail back to Europe. He had set off 15 months earlier and covered 20,000 miles, 32,000 kilometers, in 450 hours of flying. Although his journey couldn't be recorded as a solo round-the-world flight, it was still a remarkable achievement for the young pilot. On his arrival in Berlin, he was enthusiastically received and finally, a year late, President von Hindenburg would personally present him with the cup he so richly deserved. Yeah, but really though, did he really do anything? <laughs> yeah, a few things here and there, and maybe. Is it not amazing uh, back in that era and uh, the truly amazing things that these pilots did? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I, um, sorry. I don't understand. Oh, That's what I usually do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Captain Jeff went there. No. Yeah. Um, can you guys hear me? I can, we can hear you. We can hear uh, you. We just oh, can't uh, see I'm you. Sitting, I'm sitting. Well, you look a little, a little. You should turn the lights on there, Dana. It's a little dark in that room. Can't see yeah. anything. <laughs> Looks it like shows, you might have to but, maybe like uh, remove yourself from Streamyard and then re-enter. Rejoin. Yeah, rejoin. Yeah. 
because I think it's your camera is frozen because our little um yeah oh, there, there you are. Are. that's your that's I, your uh, just, laptop you're still frozen though oh, oh there, there we are. go there he is we're yeah, good all I did is reselect it so good Whew. perfect yeah amen crisis averted yeah no definitely yes. I mean you think back to the the things people did in aviation um back when aviation was in its infancy and man that takes a lot of cuts and bravery and then mm-hmm. yeah and infancy is probably the wrong word here because it wasn't that, that far in its infancy but that, that airplane, era, but they were talking about that lightweight one with the two place uh 20 horsepower engine that would propel at 65 knots i'm thinking dang that's pretty good for, a for 20 horsepower 20 horsepower yeah. that's that's all in butt actually yeah that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing but well, those um, times. and then you know flying they're making that attempt, uh, and I guess successful, right? The, to make it um, from uh, east to west um, in the in the Junkers, and uh, just flying in that weather for like five or six hours in pitch black. Um, I just can't imagine flying. I think I hall boxes put it best. He said, "Back in those days, the aircraft were still made out of wood; the men out of steel." Yeah, mm-hmm. no That's, doubt, absolutely. Very, very well said. Very awesome. Yeah, I can't imagine us doing it these days. It's just like, yeah, this just sounds like too uncomfortable. I mean, when am I going to sleep? Not doing that. Where, where, <laughs> where do I plug my phone in? <laughs> yeah. What kind of, Where's can my I get iPad? internet on this aircraft? <laughs> hey, I paid for the air, the internet and it's not working. Can I get a refund? How am I, I supposed to get my work done? <laughs> I don't fit in this cockpit. How in the world does this work out? <laughs> Oh, those magnificent men and their flying machines. Yes, sir, Micah. You got it. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, even, even, I was going to say, even though Liz is not here, she'd probably be snapping the whip, but uh, guess what? Or cracking the whip. Uh, She's back and she's yelling at me. Okay. Um, Now she's not really. Commentary on the excellent, as always, plain tales. To be fair, she was not yelling at me. Uh, She was just informing me that we need to get going here. Uh, let's see, Sean, uh, item five, uh, a friendly reminder, uh, just a friendly reminder to pilots. The FAA ain't down with the CBD. And this is from the air, uh, aircraft owners and pilots association, AOPA, uh, CBD can be risky for pilots. It's in more products than you think. Mm -hmm. Uh, so how would you pronounce that? Uh, cannabidiol, cannabidiol. Oh, shoot. I thought you'd know for sure. Uh, uh, it's it's cannabidiol. potato cannabidiol? No. I don't know. Uh, so let's it, just say it's definitely CBD. dial at the end. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, products have been increasingly popular in media, but for pilots, the risks these products pose far outweigh their possible benefits. Uh, CBD is the second most prevalent active ingredient in cannabis, marijuana, derived from the hemp plant. CBD has been touted for its wellness benefits. Without the psychoactive response of THC, the main active ingredient in cannabis. That uh, one is tetrahydrocannabinol. Well, I didn't ask you on that one. I, mean, I just wanted to make sure we've got the scientific. She knows what makes uh, you okay. high. Oh, yeah. Liz says, Steph knows the, the, how to pronounce the one that makes you high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> okay. I, I do have some serious things to say about this after you finish this article, so I'll okay. let you continue, and then I will... Uh, what? Yeah, okay. 
What? Uh, CBD production is currently unregulated, and its use in food products is not approved by the FDA. That said, CBD can be found in many personal hygiene, wellness, and consumable products around the country. At this time, the FDA has only approved one CBD product, a prescription drug used to treat seizures associated with two forms of epilepsy. CBD and very cons- rare forms of epilepsy at that. It's not oh, really? like just, yeah, not it's common. a very specific diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. CBD is considered a non-psychoactive compound, but can legally have trace amounts of THC up to 0.3%. That's not enough to cause a psychoactive response, but it's enough to show up on drug tests, which can't mm-hmm. currently differentiate between THC and CDB. Regardless of state laws, CBD THC is still a Schedule one illicit substance in the eye of the federal government. And with that, the FAA has a zero-tolerance policy. And because drug tests can't tell the difference between THC and CBD, now Steph might disagree with that, pilots who are suspected of using THC Well, uh, they, they, yeah. their wording is poor on that. Oh, uh, okay. Um, we'll come back to that in a second, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, let me get the uh, to the... Uh, to the meat. To I think we kind of said. Yeah, the, basically, actually, you got to be. We, we said the important things here. The, and this is how I counsel my patients um, because uh, CBD um, has shown up in everything across the board. So, and it's it's commonly touted as um, it's it's in products claiming to be pain relievers. Um, you know, some of the science suggests that yes, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that yes, it may help with painful conditions. Um, but here's the bottom line, and this is why I do not ever recommend these products for patients um, in the vast, vast, vast majority of, of even even just, hey, it's over the counter. Yeah, you can get it. Sure, fine, go ahead. What's the What's harm? What's the harm? Here's why. If you have a job that has a zero tolerance policy for THC, or if you are a federal employee, or if you do anything that is uh, um, uh, where you have a certificate that's uh, issued by a federal agency, so, such as the FAA, um, they have a zero tolerance policy. And if you're tested for these substances and you're like, well, I was only using CBD. Yes, that trace amount of THC can show up and that can have very serious legal ramifications for you. Um, you might lose your job. You might lose your certificates. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, and, and this article is absolutely correct. It is not something that's regulated. So up to 3% or 0.3% is, is legal but it's not regulated. So how do you know how much you're really getting? No one's actually, uh, I don't know that any of these manufacturers have a good process for really teasing out how much THC might be there present with the CBD. Um, Most of them probably have little to none of the THC, but you can't guarantee that. You have no way of knowing. Um, And it's in in a lot of things. You have to be careful. It's, (laughs) I've seen it in beers. I've seen it in really, oh yeah. uh-huh. CBD. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be careful. Um, this is your your public service announcement for the day. It's in beers. It's in all kinds of creams, lotions. Um, is it like in that one that Sweetwater does? That um, they that aviation have a... beer? <laughs> no, 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 not <laughs> no. that one. Uh, yeah. The one that talks about <laughs> it's like um, it's something they talk about hemp um, and. Other things I can't remember. So you have to be careful. So look at the labeling very carefully. And wow. if you're not sure, ask. And if they don't know, maybe pick a different beer. Um, Would it be on the label? Sometimes it is. I've seen it on the label. Sometimes okay. it's advertised as such. Yeah, like a feature. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's to me, it's the the 
potential benefits of it, whatever you think you're getting out of the CBD, probably doesn't outweigh the serious negative consequences that if you ingest a small amount of THC and it shows up on a drug test um, and it will have consequences that are negative for your job or um, if you're, especially if you're a federal employment or involved in anything FAA related for pilot, it's really just not worth it. Steer clear of it. Um, the evidence isn't that great that it makes that big of a difference for whatever you're trying to treat with the CBD, in my opinion. It's um, all a marketing play. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're retired, you never plan to fly an airplane, you just want to sit out on your back porch and, you know, enjoy the sunset in the <clears> evening and all of that, that's probably a different story. But if you're if you're part of the workforce, if you're part of uh, anything where you might be drug tested at some point for for whatever reason, I would steer clear of this stuff. Um, I was going to make another point about this too. And I can't, oh, so the, the wording that they said where um, the drug test can't differentiate between THC and CBD, the drug test is testing for THC, but because it contains up to 0.3% of the THC, that's why it's coming back positive when you think you're only taking CBD. Um, so it's not really that it, it's not differentiating between the two, as far as I understand. And IHAL boxes is absolutely correct. Um, those products can um, show up for um, quite a long time. They have very long half-lives in your body. They take a long time to be metabolized and fully eliminated from your body once you ingest it. So, you know, if you use a product that contains THC, um, you know, within a couple days, a couple weeks, sometimes even a month or two, um, it may come back as positive on your test. So be careful with this stuff. It's not worth it. Yeah, the the beer that I was thinking of from Sweetwater, Sweetwater well, it's not 420. It's actually Strain G, Strain 420 G13 or something like that. Let's see if I can share this uh, on the uh, video here. This uh, year-round 420 Strain G13 IPA. Um, and I've had this it, before. It mimic, it mimics yeah, it doesn't saying. say that it, it actually it. has CBD and it. it says that, that the hops that they've chosen mimic the... Um, mimic a legendary cannabis strain. Yeah. So I don't know what that means. That is I one that either. if I read that on the label before I consumed it, I would probably ask for something different just to be on the safe side. Yeah. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind when mm -hmm. actually I, I've had it before. It's been a while. Uh, mm -hmm. but, um, I swear, um, <laughs> but it, uh, I didn't, I didn't really like it. I didn't think it was that good. Uh, but, uh, you know, it wasn't until <laughs> this news or feedback item, uh, that I thought, Hmm, I didn't even realize that it could be in beer. I'll readily admit that I can't wait until I either retire or go out on medical. Cause I want to try this out and see what everybody's raving about because I've never done it in my entire life. I've never done it any, ever. Period. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you what, everybody on my boat dock are always doing it. They're, they're uh, aficionados. They're aficionados. And they all look at me and say, oh, you know, you can't have it. I say, you're damn right. I am not going to have it unless I am it's not, not the working it's not for a long risk. period of time. I mean, when I say long period of time, I'm out on medical with, with uh, six months, you know, six months off or retired. more than likely when I retire. That's mm. what I'll probably wait for. But, you know, it's kind of funny. I went home this summer and my, my, my brother became a doctor in Massachusetts. You have to have your doctor of dispensary. I looked at my sister and what? What's this all about? Uh, it's just this, this thing is going absolutely crazy. But, yeah. yeah, we have to be very, very careful. Well, uh, you have to you be know. careful, too, who's giving you the advice because it is 
uh, you know, in, in I think pretty much almost every state now, if not all, you can buy these products over the counter at the drugstore. Um, mm -hmm. But just be aware that they're not closely regulated. They're not regulated at all by the FDA. Um, they can legally contain up to 0.3% of that THC, and that's enough to show up in a drug test. And who knows what that actual percentage actually is. So well, there's just be your careful. 510 PSA from the APG. Lots of letters there. All right. Uh, don't do it. Just don't do it. Just say no. All right. Carl say um, says, uh, hello. Uh, not Icelandic, but traveled there. Oh, so on the last episode, we talked about this uh, Cessna 172 crash in a lake that started with <laughs> a weird letter. Uh, he said the P Thing symbol Valeria, yeah, or thing, in the name uh, of the lake is the same the letter at the beginning of the Norse god of thunder, Thor. The anglicized version is Thingvalavatn, I guess. Mm. Oh, Thingvalavatn. Thing okay. Thing I uh, can't pronounce Ava Icelandic words. Yeah. It's, sure. Yeah. What? Everybody can. Uh, the area around the lake is historically rich, was used extensively in the filming of Game of Thrones. The meeting place of two continental plates, the landscape is dramatic. Also, the original site of the world's oldest operating parliament. There are a ton of historical sites and buildings in the area. The lake must have amazing views from above. So no surprise, it was a scenic trip in a 172. Shame it was a tragic story, but the area is well worth a visit if you make it to Iceland. Carl, I Thank can you, agree with that. It is beautiful. Have I you think. done it? I have. Uh, well, I've been there. I didn't see it from the air, but we were there yeah. on the ground, and it's it's beautiful. Nice. Sure. Wait a minute. Dr. Seth, she's been everywhere. Don't worry. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's a few places I haven't been. Actually, a lot of places I haven't what? been. What? Really? No yeah. way. All of Africa, oh. Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica. You most remember that show, We're in the World is Common, San Diego? Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and rename it, We're in the World is Dr. Steph. Mm -hmm. There used to be a Where in the World is Captain Jeff segment. Yeah, I was going to say, um, we're, let's see if I can find it. the... Oh, man, that's, that hasn't been played for a long time. <laughs> Dr. Steph. <laughs> um, yes. Now, for sure, I'm going to get a violation from you. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Um, it's not like you haven't been violated before, Jeff. Oh, no, it's, that's true. So not true. For a while. It's been a while, but yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. What was I trying to do here before I was so distracted? Um, Maybe I was feedback gonna, number seven? Yeah. Well, I have to get a video file ready here. Uh, um, so here, let me do that. Boop. And I'm going to start reading this. This is from Tim from down under. He says, he says, good day, APG crew from down under, although not as down under as the F 35 fighter in this video. Ooh, bad joke. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some incredible footage of a fighter crashing into and then off an aircraft carrier late in January. Amazing that the pilot was able to survive this. Watch for the ejection as the jet is about halfway along the deck. And uh, this is from theaviationist.com. And this video is uh, actually a video of uh, a, video. a video being played on some monitors. And the, the video here is called uh, a Platt uh, video or camera, Pilot's Landing Aid Television Camera. I guess they use this for... Um, reviewing, you know, approaches to the traps on the aircraft carrier. And um, it says it was uh, video footage from the USS Carl Vinson's 
plaque camera uh, was leaked online showing what happened to the F-35C strike fighter of strike fighter squadron VFA-147 that crashed on January 24th, 2022 and sunk in the South China Sea. In the days after the crash, a photo of the F-35 floating in the sea was leaked online, immediately followed by a video shot from the fantail uh, showing the last seconds before touchdown. The USA, uh, the U.S. Navy confirmed a few days later the authenticity of both the photo and the video. Um, let's see. Uh, we can see the Lightning II coming in, and with a rapidly increasing sink rate just before the touchdown, uh, the oh, I'm, I'm starting to uh, make the sounds as it's well. Contagious. Sorry. Yeah, uh, which prompted the landing signal officer, the LSO or paddles, to start screaming on the radio power and then wave off, wave off to instruct the pilot to abort the landing and go around immediately. The next chilling moments, uh, which re- according to the cameras happened at 163030, show what seems to be a ramp strike or a very short and heavy landing. The quality of the video as it was recorded from a computer screen and the fact that it was recorded with some parallax uh, do not give a very clear view. Either way, the aircraft hit very hard on the ship, with the impact shredding out the main landing gear and causing the F-35 to bounce on the deck and hitting it nose first before starting to skid sideways while engulfed in flames. As the carrier air, aircraft carrier's crew calls for the fire emergency, the video switches to another camera, which shows the aftermath of the crash. The second camera's footage begins as the LSO calls the pilot for more power on the final approach before issuing the desperate wave-off camera shows that the pilot bailed out as the aircraft went completely sideways in the middle of the deck and already engulfed in flames. The F-35 then proceeded proceeded out of control and fell straight into the sea, while some burning pieces flew towards other aircraft parked on the deck, with the emergency crew quickly intervening to, intervening to put the fires out. Um, anyway, so let's look at the video, shall we? It's a pretty... Pretty amazing, actually. Mm, yeah. Here we go. Watched this the other day. Boom. Okay, that was from the fantail. Now this is the other video. I agree. If we're going down this road together, that'll be a bullet. Still, she couldn't be a bullet. Now, I would I would like to critique the uh, people um, uh, taping or video, videoing, videoing this. this um, le- I would recommend that you turn off the TV in the background that has some soap opera or something going on, some <laughs> yeah. Netflix show. And maybe don't talk over it. Yeah, too. and don't talk. Like, you want your voices on the... So we can hear Jeez. what's on the video. Mm-hmm. Okay, just that's just a production you know, tip. Note, yeah. Now, yeah. Jen, uh, Glenn has a good update for him. Glenn has a good update. Four sailors have been charged with leaking that video. Uh-oh. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, you know, the U.S. military doesn't really take kindly to unauthorized leaks oh, no. such as that. I remember no. once I, I took an unauthorized leak, but that has they nothing to do with... They didn't take very kindly to it either? No, they did not take kindly. <laughs> <laughs> they 
Did you video it? No, no video exists of that. Thank that's goodness. because that's because you know shaking them up twice is playing with it, Jeff. <laughs> is it though? Yes. Really? I don't know. Yes. I, I disagree. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> what else do we want to say about that? I, not well, that, but mm-hmm. the F thirty five. About the F thirty five. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. I mean, I, I wonder what what would cause an airplane mm-hmm. that's laying on a carrier to clearly be that much out of control. Yeah. Well, I think it was just a bad approach and maybe and the uh, late application uh, of power behind a, the curve. And maybe a late and, warning from the LSO. Yeah. You know, perhaps. Uh, not recognizing what was uh, unfolding. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's very demanding, you know. I can't even imagine, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Liz is making the point that it's an 11,000 feet of water and the, the, the big thing on the story is that uh, we need to get it up from the bottom before the Chinese The Chinese get to do. it, yeah. That's yeah. The, been the headlines, right? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's move on. Um, getting close to the end of the show. Let's hear from our good friend, J.J. Pittsburgh. And he sent us some audio feedback. So let's take a listen. Greetings, APG crew. It is J.J. Pittsburgh. It's been a little while. Um, but anyway, I'm driving home after a long night, pretty eventful night, but anyway, um, I love listening as you know, to the APG when I'm driving. Um, and I was just thinking like when Captain Jeff retires and when Nick's already retired, um, you should do have a second career as a voiceover artist both of you guys, um, amazing voices, um, great for, you'd be great for audio books. And, um, when Nick does the plain tales, I mean, that's essentially an audio book, um, type of thing telling stories. Um, so yeah, to the point where your voices are so soothing, that's actually a problem when I drive. Because there are some times I'm listening to the APG and I want to like pass out because it's just so soothing. It's <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. But um, anyway, I had to mention that. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that maybe as a spinoff show someday or a one-off type of show, you could have like a quiz show type of thing where the super fans, so to speak, of the APG, people that you hear a lot of um, times on here, like um, Main Man Micah, you know, people like that, um, and actually have a quiz about aviation topics. I don't know, like, if how it would go, like, um, specific... Um, details of certain parts of planes, that kind of thing. I don't know how it would work, but it would be interesting to see um, who would have the best knowledge of planes. And because, uh, you know, we're fans of aviation, but um, I know I wouldn't put myself in that uh, game because I'd get smoked by like someone like Micah. Um, but anyway, that was a suggestion could have a spinoff show someday or uh, or maybe not but uh 
<laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a bit. So at this point, you guys have probably fallen asleep. So thanks again for, um, you know, um, entertaining my crap. And uh, I will talk to you guys later. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, I'm sorry. Were we're we still, still doing, doing the show. show? <laughs> I don't know. I'm eat. <laughs> hey, JJ, it's not the first time <clears throat> that we've been told, especially my voice, uh, puts people to sleep. And um, if you really want some good, uh, a good cure for your insomnia, some classic APG shows where it's yeah. just yeah. Captain Jeff. Required. The quality, the, the content quality is fantastic, but. The voice quality is just so soothing and so relaxing. Soothing. It will yeah. put you right. The content you is should, questionable. You, but. you should hear him, you should hear him talking in the cockpit. He won't try about trying to stay awake. I mean, <laughs> trying to talk to him in the cockpit. It's like, uh, I'm sorry. Hey, wake up. What? I'm always, I'm constantly having to shake awake my uh, co-pilots. Yeah. Um, oh. And uh, as far as the uh, idea for a quiz show, uh, that sounds like way too much work. <laughs> that sounds like PTUK and yeah. Pilot Pip. Yes, so they Look, they do some of that stuff. Yeah, go over to their uh, go over to their shows, and uh, they do it already. Sell and them uh, their idea, that idea. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's, it's a good idea, but that just sounds like work to me. And you know me, I try to get out of as much work as possible. Yeah. So, so maybe one or two more items, Jeff, and then okay. we'll wrap her up. All right, Liz, uh, she's telling me maybe one or two more items and we'll wrap this up. Um, I would like to do, I guess, the next one from uh, Andrew. Um, in Hi Crew, in APG 507, you were talking about gates being occupied and having to wait for a gate. I used to work the desk at a major hub city for an airline that rhymes with American Hairlines. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that airline I before. Of, I have that, American Hairlines. What could... It rhymes with that. I don't know. Frontier? Nothing. That being San Juan? San Juan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely something that starts with a J in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. We had a time of we had a time of day that almost every flight was early and had to wait 10 to 30 minutes. One day, the jet stream was reversed, blowing from east to west. Every flight from the east coast was landing one to one and a half hours early, and in some cases, before the flight scheduled for its gate before it landed. It caused major issues after the ramp controller cleared one into the gate and then the flight scheduled before it landed from the West Coast. The next day, I noticed the same thing happening. Flights were tracking one hour early. I called every dispatcher and told them to see if all the flights could slow down at some point. They were still holding on the ground for a while, but it wasn't as bad. Hope this insight helps. We tried to make the holding for the gate as short as possible, but sometimes it just didn't work out. And again, that was from Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, that. It just sometimes happens that way. And that's why we actively, um, you know, Dana can verify this, uh, look at when we um, think we're going to be landing and, you know, arriving for the gate at our destination. And if it looks like we're going to be really early and we can't confirm that the gate's going to be open, we will do we'll take, you know, measures to slow us, slow the flight down along with air traffic control approval and uh, try to, you know, loiter as much as we can before we put it on the ground because, uh, Dana, we were talking about the fact that psychologically, when you get to a gate uh, or you, you land and you have to wait for a gate for 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, it, it's just psychologically the passengers are going, get, you know, let me out of here. You know, what, and they get frustrated because, you know, they can see the gates and they want to get off the airplane. And, you know, I really don't blame them. 
And there's a couple tools that we use, right? Mm -hmm. Oops, frozen. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was waiting for me to answer what, what those <laughs> tools are. I'm sorry, you kind of froze there, yeah. Dana. Yeah, I think, you've, 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 I think you've, I've noticed you froze several times today. I think um, that um, is it. I think it's Dan. It's Dana's uh, connection, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not on Wi-Fi. I'm hardwired to. To well, wait. I think it might be Julie uh, watching her porn. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, tell her to knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> no more you're, you're interfering with my podcast. <laughs> There's uh, always what, a what's all that noise here down there now? Um, <laughs> Moaning and screaming. So we, have a we, <laughs> we have a couple tools. Whoa, that's bad choice of words. Um, <laughs> in the in the cock. Ooh, um, let's see. How do we how do we recover tools, from this? Tools to delay. Tools uh, to help us. Methods to delay. Methods. Oh to no, delay. Liz, you're not helping. You're not helping at all. <laughs> you're making it worse. You have equipment. Oh, I sure. I bet you do. <laughs> gear. We uh -oh. we we're, we're digressing quick. Sorry. Yeah. This. What were we HR, talking about? HR. HR. Where's HR? Um, we yeah. have ways. Presence. We have ways to figure out whether we're going to be early or late, and uh, we have ways to adjust the cost index, which is another thing that we're going to cover on today's show. But we're going to wait until um, Rick gets back with us so he can defend himself. Um, but yeah, needless to say, there are some. Um, ways to uh, help ways us, means. Uh, you know, to to arrive close to our scheduled arrival time, so we don't have any issues with. Let's finish off with ground. Laura's video, the video of the dog. And Let's course, finish off. You know, what you know when that you, you know when that happens always. Though, it's always <laughs> the last freedom link into the hub. Yep. Always. Yep. All right, we're gonna we're gonna end this with. Number 11. Because uh, the from, show has gone to the dogs. It has, really. <laughs> Literally, because that's what we're going to end with. Uh, from uh, Laura Davis, she says, I'm wondering if Steph could train Taco or Truman to skydive. Ha! Is it a bird? A plane? No, it's a paragliding dog. And this is from BBC.com. Now, again, you're going to have to bear with me because I have to do something to share my screen. And so we can watch this very cool video. <laughs> first video we did, I think it's like maybe 150 million views for, I think, most of people around the planet. Like it's something completely amazing and they never saw that before. Okay, we're watching the guy paragliding with his dog. So the first thing uh, I noticed is Uka was not afraid of heights. For example, when we go hiking, he was standing super on the edge of the cliff. I started to play with my own glider to teach him that it's okay, it's not scary. And he was super fine with it. He was playing with me, around me, with the glider. After that, we checked if he was uh, okay to wear a special harness for flying. So I teach him to come between my legs uh, on a command. So I said, décollage, it's take off in French. And he comes between my legs. And then we run together. I just say, run, 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 run. And we take off with And then I let go of my legs and he fell and 
now. Oh. I mean, we get like many people saying like we're I'm abusing Uka because he cannot agree to fly. But actually, when Uka doesn't like something, you immediately know. He can show it to you even if he's not uh, speaking. RSPCA. Disclaimer. I was uh, not working so much because of the COVID. I was living like some uh, personal issues in my life. And yeah, I was like quitting a big, big depression actually. Uka was not very lucky or so in his life. Um, he has been abandoned two times. The oh. second owner of Uka, actually, they got a small garden, but I think they were not taking him outside so much. When they gave him back, uh, he was full of parasites. He was uh, full of fleas and he got like the, the fur was very dirty. He was really in a bad shape. Since I have Uka, we are living outside in the nature every day. I think I gave Uka the life he was meant to have. He pushes me to yeah, to wake up in the morning and to find motivation to do stuff. So yeah, I think I, I need to to tell him like a, a big thank you for that Uka. That looks pretty happy. I don't know. I think that's super yeah. cool. That the is dog amazing. does seem to be enjoying it. He's just, you know, checking things out. They're flying yeah. around. Love it's it. a bird. Rocco it's a plane. A Beautiful it's dog. It's a super dog. Uka. Yeah. Uka. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's a great way to end the show, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, on a high. That's a on bird. a high. That's for sure. And uh, so we do have uh, several more pieces of feedback that we didn't get to in today's show. But uh, don't let Woo. that discourage you from sending in feedback because uh, Liz always loves just lots and lots of feedback and that feedback backlog. And so if we haven't gotten to yours yet, rest assured, I'm sure we will in a future show. And again, uh, you can send us feedback by heading over to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com or actually you don't head over there. You address your email to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, I know that I've responded to several people in the past and it ends up responding with my own personal email address, uh, but I do recommend that you make sure that you're sending it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com so that people will see it other than me because I'm not always the most reliable person when it comes to really? <laughs> making sure. Hey, Liz. And by people, you mean Liz. <laughs> yeah. She's, she goes, really? <laughs> uh, so yeah, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, and we, you know, we have a website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you can find out information about the crew and the community APG on YouTube. We have the plain tales page, the APG library. Um, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's today. Today is her birthday. Isn't it, it is Tiffany's her birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. Yay, Tiffany. Happy birthday. Happy Tiffany. Birthday, and happy birthday, uh, Tiffany. we hope that, uh, she has a, a great, or has had a great day. I'm sure she has. And uh, let's see, what else? We have uh, Coffee Fund, uh, the APG Store. You can uh, contact us. We have our individual emails listed there. And we have the APG Community Calendar there as well. So check it out. And we're also on social media. And Steph's going to tell us all about the social media. We are on social media. We'll start with Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. If you're on that platform, we welcome your contributions and community interaction there. Of course, we're on Twitter. Uh, that's or APG crew on Twitter. And you can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page as well. And 
Instagram. I still haven't shared any of Nick's artwork there, but I mean, you get it here too. So it's, you'll see it one way or another. Uh, At some point I'll stop being a slacker, but um, is is Hillel in like two places at one time today somehow? I think that uh, we have a, we had somebody. Oh, we've we've uh, had it patched. uh, uh, Yeah, patched in. There's a, uh there's a, a microphone, hidden microphone in the shower over there in uh, Israel and so let me see if I get hello 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 uh, slack okay but I'm dripping wet that's okay you're way away from me and it's not going to get on me so that's okay so let's uh, let's hear what you have to say about slack APG listeners please join us on our slack team slack is a communication coordination and sharing platform that works on your mobile laptop or browser On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right, Hillel, thank you very much for taking your time out from your business trip. What kind of place is this? Where are we? How does this thing work? Um, apparently, he's having a little issue with uh, how things work uh, over in Israel. Yeah, the plumbing you're, works. You're in Israel. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, it looks a little different, but it kind of functions the same on a yeah, basic level. I think Just, so. Yeah. Uh, I can't. It can't be that much different, right? All right. Well, uh, hopefully, he'll find his way. And uh, we do thank him for uh, taking the time out to uh, help us with that. And uh, we also want to take the time to thank our wonderful producer-director, Liz Piper in Toronto. Thank you, Liz. Hey, Liz. Thanks, guys. Couldn't do the show without you. Which is, uh, I don't know if you want to take credit or blame. Uh, and, <laughs> I'll take um, all the credit. Dana, thanks for uh, uh, joining us again. It was nice to yeah. get caught up with you. And uh, how can people uh, contact you and uh, all that? Well, um, people uh, can never contact me again. No, I'm like, okay. <laughs> you, can reach out, you can reach out to me at, uh, well, I'll make it easy. DLProPilot at gmail.com. So D is in Dana, L is in Larry. P-R-O-P-I-L-O-T at gmail.com and I want to take this opportunity thank you for having me back as a guest and uh, amazing time today Liz I mean I haven't been here in a while and I gotta tell you I I can see a huge difference in in how the show flows Liz you're doing a fantastic job and uh, thank you I just uh, everybody in the community great to see everybody again I hope you've enjoyed uh, hearing from me and uh I will be uh, next month. If anybody wants to see me in Boston, uh, reach out to me on my email because I'll be there six overnights. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I've got uh, <laughs> one Cincinnati and uh, actually three Cincinnati and three Portland, Oregon's. And by the way, uh, the DL and DL Pro Pilot.com stands for Down Low. Down Low Pro Pilot. Down Low. The Down Low. So. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thanks, Dana. And without further ado, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up and say thank you and wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Bye. Great scene, everyone. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I got 